You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. Hey, fellas. How's it going this week? All right. David Hall. Hey, hey. And Greg Hectus. Are we done with the short tracks yet? Sacrilege. On the show today, we talk Coke playoff racing at Bristol with Evan Pasoko. We check out the new stats page, and we got the 2022 NIS, I mean NASCAR schedule. Take a load off and check out the weekly news at the iRacers Lounge podcast. GridFinder 2.0 is bigger and better than ever with more ways to narrow your search for your next sim racing league. Featuring over 1,000 leagues from over 25 racing sims across every platform, your place on the grid is just a couple clicks away. Visit www.grid-finder.com to find a league or to upload your own. GridFinder is the home of online sim racing leagues. Gridfinder.com. First time winner, Ashton Crowder, final time at turn four to his first win in the E-NASCAR peak in. And the Monster Mile in 2020 is tamed by Nitron Garrett going to look to the bottom. It is not going to be enough. And Ryan Luza is going to go back to back. He steals the win at Thunder Valley. Welcome, the voice of iRacing. Evan Pasoko. Welcome, Evan Pasoko, to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks uh, for having me again. Uh, the drama continues uh, in these playoff races. And uh, what a night we had um, this past week at Bristol. Uh, I thought it was going to be, uh, to be honest, a little bit uh, messy. Uh, but we actually ended up uh, with, with quite an exciting race. Yeah, lots of nerves for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pre-race, though, uh, was very interesting. I want to talk about that a little bit. Elliot Sadler, uh, what a great uh, guest to have. I mean, owner in the series, uh, former you know NASCAR driver, great guy. But what was fascinating is uh, not even pre-race, but during the race when you interviewed him, he talked about working with his team, Elliot Sadler Esports, and the guys there and and getting them on telemetry for the first time and hey you got to be doing this this is how we did it in the cup series you need to do it this way and and really taking leadership he's not just a figurehead he's literally working on the cars yeah i think it's probably one of the um kind of the most informative interviews we've had right i mean a lot of the time we'll get to talk to somebody and it's cool to hear their story on how they initially got involved and and we asked elliot about that too obviously but uh, i agree with you i think the coolest thing was because kind of learning his involvement um on the day-to-day basis right so of course you got guys like parker uh, with Kligerman sport we know are pretty involved um and you know it's i think it's a variance when you look at some of the other teams right how actually directly involved those teams are uh but it's pretty clear that elliot um is very hands-on and of course you know he has his two cars in the series with ashton crowder and garrett mains um but they're one of the teams kind of like a space station and some of these other ones uh that have expanded beyond just the coke series right so they have a lot of drivers that's a lot of people to manage 
And I thought that it was cool, not only how involved he is, but how detailed of an answer he gave us, right? Uh, specifics on, you know, this is how we did things at the Cup Series, and I think we need to get you guys on telemetry and data and that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it was one of the best, uh, probably the best answers we've heard, right, as far as some of the technical aspects of what happens uh, behind the scenes from these teams. And, uh, you know, certainly I wasn't aware that that Elliot was that involved um, before we had a chance to talk to him last night. So uh, th that was certainly cool and uh, you know, good to see a guy like Elliot get so involved again, not just in the Coke series, but uh, they get a lot of people under ESE now. Absolutely. Um, powerhouse for sure. Uh, so let's get to the race uh, up front. So far, so good for the Coanda crew. It was Keegan Leahy leading uh, Mitchell DeYoung second. Uh, last week's winner, Bobby Zelensky third. Um, pretty clean up front after the first 15 laps. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, that's when you can kind of see how these races are going to shake out. Right. Um, historically, um, Bristol's either been hit or miss and oftentimes it's been miss. Um, we've only raced there four times before uh, Tuesday night's race. Um, and, you know, back in 2010, it had 11 cautions in 2011. It had 16. And I guess that scared the schedule makers because then we didn't race there for like six, seven years. Came back in 2019. Casey Kerwin won only a five caution flag race, but then last year when losing when it was 11, right? So we're thinking, well, the numbers are going to suggest that this race is going to be, uh, you know, messy, uh, as I like to put it. But uh, once we got those first couple of laps in, um, you know, I think we could see that drivers uh, relatively knew what they were doing and know that, you know, 250 laps at Bristol's a long race, um, you know, not time wise, but I think, you know, just mentally, physically in the car. Um, and some drivers look like they wanted to pace themselves early. Right. I think another factor in why um, we were able to get on that green flag run early is because as Keegan mentioned in his pre-race interview with Steve or with Parker, I should say is that, uh, you know, he said that track position was going to be big for them, right? Because it was going to be a little bit difficult to kind of execute those passes, um, you know, with drivers, uh, you know, running top and bottom and, and you know, kind of only really only one of those lanes being the, the best one, which was the outside lane. Um, so I think that that had a little bit to do with it. But but certainly um, I just wanted to mention as well. I mean, the 2311 guys have been ridiculous this year in qualifying. Um, I think they've started on pole. Uh, in half of the races and probably at least four or five of those seem to have been front row lockouts but early in the year we would see them do that and then it would quickly fade and even keegan said listen i'm not that confident in our in our race car you know race pace but uh you know they they did a good job early of, of kind of setting the tone for how this race would go yeah, but he's going to learn that for, uh, the clean air really helps him. Uh, lap 17 trouble. It was Dylan Duvall getting loose. Garrett Maines slammed into him. No caution. Uh, Maines had a ton of damage. It was still clean and green. And then Matheson started from the pits. He was currently two laps down in danger of losing a third lap with 35 laps down. Yeah, just tough, right? I mean, there's there's no way, uh, no way that you can uh, fight that off really um and that proved to you know kind of end his night before it even started um you know you, you're just not going to get that back and you know as as we would kind of race uh deeper into this run um you know very quickly as always at bristol then the lap traffic becomes a big factor right and i feel like that's where you're more likely to get incidents uh, at a track like this is when leaders are dealing with lap traffic and trying to slice through and you kind of got, you know, lapped cars fighting for position while they're getting lapped or lead lap guys fighting for position while they're lapping other people. 
Um, and that's where we had some pretty exciting uh, moments in this race, trying to navigate some of the traffic, which quickly became the story of the first half. Yeah, and as the tires wore off too. So lap 50, uh, Keegan Leahy was continuing to lead. Uh, he is in a must-win situation uh, for the playoffs and still caution-free. But around lap 53, it was crazy. They were three and four wide at some times at Bristol. And uh, yeah. it was exciting. And I think it was just people who'd saved their tires who were coming and the people who didn't who were going. And it seems like like it is every week, right? There was always this question of pit strategy. So that's why maybe some drivers were saving a little bit, right? Trying to race to that halfway point. Uh, we really didn't think that a one stopper was a viable option at the start of the night. But uh, very quickly, it seemed to be that, you know, we thought tires were going to burn off quicker than that. But it appeared, as you mentioned, some guys saving a little bit, then tried to kick it into gear in that, you know, second half of the opening stint. And and you got guys, you know, trying to fight through the field. Uh, we didn't see a ton of movement at the front, right? Most of the guys who started in the top 10 would go on to finish in the top 10 in this race. But you started at this point to notice guys like Casey Kerwin and Blake Reynolds and some of the guys that started in the 20s really kick it into gear in this part of the race and, and try to make some moves, you know, knowing that eventually if this thing continued to stay green, they'd have to cycle through some green flag pit stops. It was around lap 60 when they finally caught lap traffic. And I just want to stop and say, this is the difference between a Coke race and an NIS race. Um, the, all the Coke drivers are so good. It took them 60 laps just to catch the back of the field. Um, in an NIS race, that's usually 20 or 30 laps. Um, and that's this shows, you know, how deep this field is. Oh, for sure. And, you know, once you got to a lapped car, you know, even if he's the 36th place car, I mean, you know, we talk about how the, the leader has the advantage of the clean air. At this point, that's gone, right? I mean, it's just it's hard for, for Keegan and, and Mitchell and Bobby, who were one, two, three at the time, to get by anybody um, as it would be anybody else. Um, but, you know, the lapped guys weren't, uh, you know, kind of blocking uh they were just holding their line right and, and if you could park it on the top side you put the onus on those lead lap guys but i mean we had, you mentioned guys going three wide uh with lapped cars lead lap cars uh you know big runs off of the corner and and everybody knew what they were doing there was a couple of close calls don't get me wrong a couple of people got the fence a little bit here there was a little bit of you know contact sometimes off of the corner uh, because as you mentioned when the tires were going away we were really starting to see guys kind of fishtail it off of the corner right trying to trying to keep in the gas as, as that rear grip started to go away. Um, but, but you're a hundred percent right. I mean, the lap times are so quick here at Bristol um, for the race leaders to take that long to get the lap traffic shows you, um, you know, how tight these guys are. And, and that's something that we've always known uh, about the Coke series is, I mean, it is fractions of a second to, to be in first and to be in 40th. Yep. And uh, Keegan and Mitchell got hung up behind Zach Novak at around 95 laps com complete. And then caution, lap 102. Looks like Bob Bryant spun after contact with Blade Witt. Um, Bryant stays on the lead lap, and Jimmy Mullis gets a fortunate break with the Lucky Dog. Yeah, so we finally had the yellow. Uh, tough bait uh, for Bob, you know. Um, obviously, uh, just a little bit of a touch there. Um, and at that point, again, the tires are going away, just kind of a little haphazardly spin, nothing, uh, too major for the, uh, the likes of Bristol. And, and again, um, fortunately he was able to stay on the lead lap. We hit the reset button and now you wonder, you know, all right, we're coming up to a restart. 
still a little bit shy of halfway, but we just did a hundred lap green flag run. So I think one thing I noticed is on the following restart, um, we we saw a little bit more aggressiveness than what we saw in that initial one, right? Because drivers are thinking, listen, if we go another hundred and two laps, then we're going to be running out of time towards the end of this race, right? I mean, this thing could really go green. Drivers were a little bit timid on that initial start. Uh, certainly, things were a lot more aggressive on this second one. Yeah, absolutely. So this restart, twenty three eleven up front. Um, and then it was biggest mover so far was Steven Wilson. He was up 20 spots from 32nd to 12th. Um, man, rookie of the year. I'm going to just throw that out there. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, you know, I talk about some of those guys creeping up through the field. And, um, you know, the names I mentioned were, were guys like Kerwin or guys like Reynolds. Um, you know, but, but Steven Wilson was, you know, some ridiculous number at that juncture in the race. Um, it's, it's not going to uh, come to fruition by the end, unfortunately. Right. But he was, you know, consistently more than 22, 23 spots up when he was, you know, knocking on the door of the top 10. It's a shame um, that they've had actually quite a few races like that this year where they just don't have it in qualifying. Uh, and I don't think that's a team exclusive issue. I mean, there's guys like Luza who who have kind of complained this year that they've consistently struggled with qualifying. It's put them on the back foot. So you know, it's not just uh, Bob in, in, in that regard. Steve, I should say, Steve Wilson in that regard. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many times that we've seen them make up 10, 20 positions in a race. And then like they did in this race, eventually, uh, you know, finish towards the rear. But uh, he certainly had uh, a lot of really good speed um, at several points uh, over the course of uh, of this championship. And uh, he, he's above the cut line as far as relegation. Um, but, but this night hurt him. You know, if he had finished top 10, you'd be talking about, you know, Steve Wilson possibly being as high as 12th in the standings. Um and, and unfortunately, he drops to 16th. So still some work to do, but but I, I agree. Very impressed uh, with, with how they've done for Rush Fenway Gaming. There's several different storylines that you guys are covering throughout uh, this run. But, um, you know, Jimmy Mullis, Bob Bryant were running 32nd, 33rd. And there will be in a must-win must situation at Talladega uh, based on where they were running. And uh, we also heard on the radio uh, from Casey Kerwin, not happy uh, he said, do you think in a million years that you're going to be able to make that pass, Vicente? Uh, Vicente wasn't making a lot of friends out there, um, it seemed like. Yeah, and, and Steve said that, you know, he he feels like that Vicente was was feeling rushed, right? Um, when When you find yourself below the cut into the second race of the round, especially in this round, when you talk about the fact that, you know, we're going to Talladega of all places in two weeks. Um, I, I think it was just feeling the pressure. Right. And, and we talked about patience, you know, and talked about Novak holding up some of the race leaders earlier uh, in lap traffic. I talked about some of the guys on that initial start being a little bit more patient. Vicente uh, was pushing it. Right. I mean, obviously he felt the pressure. Um, he came into this race uh, out of Darlington in a pretty good spot. He was the bubble driver, right? He was only out by uh, one point between he and Jimmy Mullis. But I think maybe knowing that, hey, Mullis is really struggling tonight for whatever reason, this is my chance. And uh, maybe just uh, got a little bit too aggressive and uh, didn't make friends. But listen, uh, you don't normally make friends at Bristol. That's right. It's kind of the, the way it works there. Uh, this was fascinating. We got word that Ryan Luza was actually running on a generator and had no power. Um, I don't, is this the first? I don't think we've had a driver do that before. 
I know drivers have been prepared to run on generators before. Um, and a lot of guys have like a, a UPC or something, right? So that if uh, they temporarily lose power, um, their computer is plugged in to that. So you have a little bit of like battery backup. Uh, but I don't know if anyone's ever did a whole race on generator. I'm sure just because we've been doing it for so long that it has to have happened at some point. Uh, but this is kind of the first very notable time it's happened uh, to a guy like Ryan. And he even mentioned in his post-race interview, you know, uh, the generator died at a couple points and, and they fell back on that UPC power uh, for a little bit. He heard it beeping as the generator needed to kick back in. So, uh, you know, it could have been so easy for, for loser to say, you know, forget it, uh, you know, wash it away. Um, but instead, uh, he races in this race. He said big thanks to his dad for helping him set that up. If there's no relegation, like he's not showing up, right? He doesn't care. But he gains a lot in this race. He entered, I think it was like 17th or 18th in the points, right? You want to be top 20? He leaves Bristol 14th in the points. So if he doesn't race, he's probably below the cut line. Instead, because they got that generator situation hooked up, he gains four. He's that much safer on the bubble. I mean, that's like a swing of like seven, eight positions just based yeah. on participating or not participating in this race. So uh, super critical that they that they made that work. Yeah, it could be, be the difference at the end of the season, uh, him doing that. And he gave all the credit to his dad. And I'm sure his dad was out there trying to get that generator restarted for him quickly. Yeah, it would have been funny if we could see his dad uh, cranking at it in the background of the camera shot. But, uh, you know, that's why we didn't have our typical uh, live look in with him, right? Is because they were trying to uh, consolidate and minimize how much power they were actually using. Um, and, and that's why we didn't have our, our normal onboard camera with him is because they were just trying to get the essentials, right? And, and just only power up what they needed to. And uh, it certainly worked out uh, for him. Um, in, in, of course, for what's been one of his best races in quite a while. Yeah, Matt Busa was coming back through the pack, uh, P13 at that time. He came into this race as the fourth man in the final four by points. Uh, he's going to need a little more to stay there if the points are on his mind. Yeah, I mean, and he did exactly what he needs to do, which is the key, right? You just need a couple more of those. There's two weeks left. Obviously, the big question um, is Talladega, right? Um, if you're like a single-digit or in the low teens when, when we get to the Texas finale in terms of the relegation battle, then it's a fair concern. Uh, but I think everybody really put a lot of onus on Bristol, even though Bristol could be a crapshoot on its own, simply because there's nothing you could do really to prepare uh, for the Talladega race next week. And I think we'll have a lot better picture as far as, uh, you know, aside from the championship, we'll have a lot better picture on who's not going to have to go down um, to that E-NASCAR Road to Pro qualifying iRacing series in the winter um, once we get through uh, that race in Talladega. Now, we finally get some movement up front into second and aiming for the lead. Logan Clampett uh, is on the move uh, with over just over 50 to go. Um, and then race leader Keegan pounds the fence on the 50 to go. About 63 to go, Logan starts challenging Leahy for the lead. And, and this was a great video that NASCAR put up on Twitter. Uh, you guys had the cameras of their faces side by side and the action over on the right. Um, and one's on the bottom, one's on the top. And they're just fighting for the lead. Great racing. But, man, Logan is really, really gets up on the wheel. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't really know where that speed came from, right? I mean, Logan picked up some spots in, in the first half of that run, but you know, we talked about saving a little bit, and, I mean, he was just so much quicker. And at this point, we thought it was inevitable that he was going to get around Keegan. Um, you know, obviously, Mitchell had done a good job of sitting second with his teammate all night, and he was able to get around him, um, you know, was able to get around Ryan Luza earlier in the race, and then, Eventually, both of those cars, um, you know, got around Mitchell and, and Mitchell would slide to, to fourth. At this time, Mitchell was still third uh, behind these two. But telling you what, 50 laps to go. I didn't think there was any way Keegan Leahy was going to win that race without a yellow. Logan was absolutely on him. But Keegan critically survived like a five lap period where that 97 was just all over his bumper. And then he started to get a little bit of cushion. And then you thought, oh, maybe Logan, you know, burned it up a little bit trying to get up there and uh, thought that that might have been the difference maker. But there was a point where Logan was quicker significantly. He was on the bumper of Keegan and Keegan was able to defend successfully. He was sweating bullets. I mean, he was nervous before the race in the pre-race interview uh, about the whole thing. He ended up leading every lap, you know, uh, up to this point and, and just nervous because he saw him coming, you know, obviously. But he held that top line and uh, that's the preferred line and it worked for him. He, he did call out on the radio to the lap cars, hey, get, you know, cut me a break. And he even said, thanks for the top guys at one point to those lap drivers. Um, some of them didn't care, but some of them helped him out. Uh, but Ryan Luza was closing in um, now at this point. He was two seconds uh, away from the top two and down with 25 laps to go. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, those defending winners. Kerwin had had success. I mentioned the, uh, the race winner from the last time we were here. Um, you have guys like Luza, or sorry, Luza, the winner from 2020, and Kerwin, the winner from 2019. Um, you expect those guys to, to have a shot. And like I mentioned, this ended up being uh, one of Ryan's best nights, and he kind of turned into the clampet of this run, right? Like all of a sudden, and they, they've got a huge run, but time was ticking and, uh, you know, thought that if this was a 300-lap race, I feel like the top five would have been very different because I didn't expect this many people to kind of figure it out in the final 100 or the final 50. But all of a sudden, you know, Keegan looked like one of the slower of the top three cars. But then 17 to go. Caution. It's Graham Boland crashed after contact with Vicente Salas. And, there, and then there's a, a separate crash under caution. Uh, Zach Novak, Kane Cook, Ashton Crowder, a bunch of cars involved. But uh, tough break, I think, for Vicente because he was having a good run, uh, you know, regardless of the aggressiveness. But, uh, yeah, he crashed. And it didn't ruin uh, his night. He still ends up fin finishing this race in 16th, which is higher than where he started. But I mean, that that little bit of you know positioning that he loses is big, right? Um, because I mentioned that he was the cut guy coming into this race um, and leaving this race instead. I think he's going to find himself about 15 points back. Um, that is such a big difference because he was one point back coming in, and you think. Well, he still finished in the top, you know, 16 or whatever it was. It's not a terrible night. You're right. But it just has to do with the success that the other guys that finished up towards the, the front of the race had. Right. Uh, Mitchell DeYoung is actually the highest in the points, even though he didn't have a win. Right. I mean, Bobby's locked in. Obviously, Bristol winner uh, is locked in. But if you just took the wins out, Mitchell DeYoung's had the best playoffs out of anybody. 
So he's up there. Obviously, he finishes up front in this race. Uh, Logan Clampett's up there. Obviously, he, fi- he goes on to finish second in this race. Um, you know, Matt Busa didn't have the greatest of nights, but had a really good uh, Darlington. So he's up there as well. So uh, maybe that's why Vicente was driving so hard, right? I mean, he knew the math. And uh, uh, this incident, of course, had nothing to do with how he was driving. He was just uh, collected. Yeah. Yeah, tough break for him. I, he had a run going that would have been really good for him in the points, but it didn't work out. Yeah, and, and Conti's hit was huge, right? I mean, Vicente was able to keep on going. Uh, Conti's basically cleaned him out, right? Now, he would go on to finish 38th in this race. And uh, so, I don't know how he had such a, a positive attitude at the end of the race. You could tell he was pretty dejected, but but he would go on to say, you know, it. Uh, well, we, we, we know where we are, right? Uh, he is going to be in a, a win or go home situation at talladega he won uh, a plate race earlier this year so he doesn't feel like all hope is lost but uh you know it's a team that goes from three points out of the next round into the championship coming into this race to to now being a mile out uh because of that incident yeah, and it's bristol i mean it happens and sometimes you just can't do anything to avoid it um we saw that last night in the nis race with several team members but uh reckon under caution that's bristol too Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) because there's nowhere to go. And it's funny because a lot of the time there'll be an initial wreck. And then it's somebody who's trying to avoid that. Right. That kind of creates a second mess. And and those almost happened so back to back. As soon as the yellow came out, those guys may have lifted and it may have caused the incident. Right. I mean, they were so back to back. Um, there's, there's, it's kind of like a Dover in that aspect. Right. When something happens, there's very little options uh, to get away from it. Yeah, I think somebody long time ago said Bristol's like uh, flying a jet in a gymnasium. Yeah, especially down the backstretch when you got that that wall on the inside of you and the wall on the outside. It reminds me of that uh, that Red Bull video I saw a couple of weeks ago where they they had one of the Red Bull stunt plane pilots actually fly a plane through a tunnel. Uh, something tells me that's uh, what it feels like going down the backstretch of Bristol when there's a car wrecking in front of you. There you go. So uh, restart 11 to go. Keegan Leahy and Logan Clampett lead the field in the turn one. Uh, 10 to go crash. Uh, <laughs> Mike Conti, Stephen Wilson. Oh, that was the one we just read. Yeah, that, that, and that was tough. You know, I mentioned we mentioned earlier how Wilson was having such a good night, right? I mean, I've touched on what happened with Salas and how that hurt him. Touched on how, you know, that really hurt Conti. But, uh, you know, Steven Wilson, I mean, we talked about the great run that he was having another night where they're so good. He's up there racing amongst playoff guys and uh, gets involved in that mess. Yeah, and then we get a restart here, a uh, clutch restart, as NASCAR called it, for Keegan Leahy. Um, he just took off when the pace car dropped, which is perfectly fine. Uh, but but that's the advantage of being the leader at a track like this. Uh, you know, it's really hard to lose the race uh, when you get a restart like that. And that's the, the onus is on him, right? Um, he's the control car. He has the advantage, but that race is going to come down to if he can execute on that restart. Um, basically, for most of the other restarts, aside from that one just previous to this, right, with 11 laps to go, for the first two restarts of the night, he had his teammate with him. So I'm not, not to say that, you know, Mitchell's rolling over for him, but you can have confidence that, you know, you can fire off when you guys want and you're not going to get run into going into the corner. Um, in this situation, Keegan knows how much it would mean for Logan to go on to, to win this race. Um, and I think that 
he uh, he handled the pressure well. Uh, that's all you could hope. Logan desperately was looking for a race win. Um, you know, he was another driver who coming into this race was three points out, courtesy of such a good result. I think he's actually going to end up being the bubble driver. Uh, but but Keegan handled it under pressure and uh, never looked back. Yeah, so uh, he led every lap, which is amazing. Um, so the finishing order, Keegan Leahy, Logan Clampett, Ryan Luza, Mitchell DeYoung, Ray Alfala, didn't even talk about him all night, Casey Kerwin, Bobby Zielinski, Graham Bolin, Nick Ottinger, and Blake Reynolds for the top 10. And we went, you know, 10 years in this series without a driver ever leading every single lap in an oval race. It's happened in road races. In fact, I think it's happened more times than not in a road race that the race winner led every single lap. And now that's twice in a year uh, with Vicente earlier at Richmond and now Keegan here um, at Bristol. And I wasn't sure if it had happened because there was a couple of points through pit cycles, especially with the split pit roads here at Bristol, right? I had thought for sure that he probably lost one just because on a stupid pit cycle or something, right? But but he did lead all 250. It's only the second time it's ever happened. Yeah, amazing. And uh, I, I uh, Twittered uh, Leahy after the race, and I, I, I called him hashtag dominator. Oh, he, he blitzed him, man. I mean, we, we've seen dominating performances. Um, and not to say that he was, uh, you know, a mile ahead of everybody else, right? Like I said, at the end of the race, he may have been one of the slowest of the top three cars. I think there was an extra 50 laps on this race. Clampett could have won it. Luza could have won it, right? So it's funny that he probably was not the best car on track for the last 50 laps, even though he absolutely dominated them, right? But he put himself in that position. He was concerned about losing the race lead in that track position early. Uh, and I think by holding it for those first 200 in a row, he earned the right to play a little bit of defense and use that track position to his advantage in the back 50. And, uh, you know, kind of a weird dominating race when, when again, he was under fire quite substantially at the end, but uh, you know, to be only the second guy in you know, however many hundreds of races we've seen uh, in series history, um, it's certainly an impressive feat. And, and Keegan uh, is looking for some redemption. He wants to get back into that championship race and uh, wants it to finish this time around a little bit differently. It just goes to show, you know, this track, you want to be up front before the end of the race. Um, other tracks, you don't want to be up front, you know, like Daytona or something. You always want to be in second coming to the white, you know. But, uh, yeah, great job by Keegan. Let's look at points. I mean, how did those shake out? What, who are the big movers and shakers? And, and what do we got looking for uh, for the future? You know, of course, so we have uh, our, our race winners who are locked in. Um, so we know Bobby's going to fight for the championship. And we know that Keegan's going to fight for the championship. So that leaves two positions in on points. Mitchell DeYoung is in on points. He's actually, as I mentioned, the highest driver points-wise. And if anybody he's had the best playoffs just doesn't have the win. Um, I believe Matt Boost is going to be our bubble driver. So DeYoung is 15 points ahead of Busa. And then Clampett is the other driver in on points. He is eight points ahead of Busa. So Busa is out by eight. Bolin out by 11. Uh, you're going to have, uh, you know, Vicente Salas there is out by 15. Uh, Molas is going to be out by 20. And when you start to get to that range, you're looking for wins, right? So Bolas may need to win it, and Conti and Bob Bryant may need to uh, look for wins. But, hey, it is coming up in two weeks' time. We're going to Talladega. Michael Conti won the season opener at Daytona. He loves the plate races. Anybody, anybody could win 
Um, of course, you have to think that there's a good chance that a non-playoff guy even wins this race, which could be big because, again, with only two spots open on points right now, currently occupied by DeYoung and Clampett, um, if another playoff driver wins, of course, that would siphon things down to just one points driver advancing, and, and that could be a big swing. But uh, there's a lot of drivers that know the assignment, and that's to go in there and win. Um, the bubble's not particularly close. I say that eight points is still pretty tight, but uh, we'll have our live points, and we'll be tracking it all night. You know, and I'm looking forward to Talladega. You know, I'm and I'm feeling a little sentimental too because I'm realizing this is the last uh, you know restrictor plate in this car. You know, as we go to the next gen car, so yeah, and this is a you know a, a plate package that uh, a lot of the drivers aren't a big fan of. Right, it's very different than what it was um, earlier this year in Daytona and, and in most leagues and in most series and I asked and some of these other things, right? I mean, we've, we've done a plate race since then, right? I mean, they've had time to, to race it. Um, obviously these guys aren't going into this cold. They're going to be running some of the NIS stuff and, and practicing and whatnot, but it's a very different drafting track now with this package. I think the advantage we'll have is it's Dega, not Daytona. So there's a little bit more room, but uh, these guys are going to have to work a little bit more for some of these runs um, than maybe they did earlier this year. And, and I wonder if that's going to have any effect on, on how drivers approach the race, right? You talk about historically, Dega's not a track you want to be up front at early. Well, if drivers really think it's going to be that much of a struggle, maybe we'll see some drivers put a little bit more onus on going up front early. All right. Great uh, Bristol race, Evan Pasoko, as usual. Thanks for coming on and talking and uh, co-racing with us, and we'll see you at the next one. Absolutely. We'll catch you guys in two weeks at Talladega. you guys ready to jump into topics here we go starting off with and forgive me because i'm playing a little double duty here and having to find my place back there's a the first post we're going to cover is the sim seats showroom is now open we got a, a tweet from sim seats and they're showing that it, they're going to be at uh richmond raceway i guess which means um well this is last weekend wasn't it this was the last uh over saturday and sunday uh, yeah now i know that tony got uh, kind of ripped off at Michigan because they didn't even have a direct drive for either of the chassis uh, that they had, whoever had them at Michigan. Now, if you take a blow up of this picture and look closely, it's like a, a suite or it's a room. And if you look out the window, I think you can even see the, the grandstands outside the window. So this is, I think, is a suite at the track where uh, Sim Seats was entertaining, you know, potential customers. Uh, and basically he said it was open to Richmond Raceway fans. So I don't know exactly the scenario, but boy, what a nice looking set of uh, setup he's got uh, here. He's got dual rigs. Uh, one is a triple monitor uh, setup. The other is a, a widescreen, you know, like a 46. And uh, of course, sim seat cockpits. Um, pretty nice looking. Yep. And um, I think when they were in Michigan, that was just iRacing that was bringing up not sim seats i think this is just they must be close to richmond or there was another manufacturer that was doing the motion one at the other tracks at the with the uh semi rig at, when they were taken to the track well it wasn't motion at michigan but it was motion the place that they were at before which was or not, jeff marble was right yeah so was that new hampshire 
Isn't is he kind of? Yeah, maybe it was New Hampshire. Cool. Well, it's a. Uh, it looks nice. So uh, back going back in time, if you were at Richmond, <laughs> go check out those rigs. So. What does brake bias do? Well, let us tell you, or you can go watch this video on YouTube. I can tell you that it basically changes the percentage of uh, how much your front wheel brakes and how much your real wheel brakes. And generally, you want to try to get it as far back as you can without spinning out under braking. I think this guy explains it better, though. Dave Cam, he, he's actually a previous guest on the, on the show. Um, I commented on this video and said, hey, we need to get you back. And he said, uh, yeah, let's do it. So we're going to try to get him on the show here in short order. Talk to Dave Cam because uh, he's doing this video for Traxion <clears throat> magazine. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting take. Uh, now, I he talks about people like me. I never touch brake bias, actually. You know, if I have a problem with it, I'll touch it. But throughout a race, I never touch it. And so uh, he's kind of telling me and trying to teach me, hey, maybe you're missing out on something here by not having that brake bias. Um, as you can adjust throughout the run, and he explains why and shows some examples and different things like that. So Dave Cam, a great teacher as usual. Yeah, you do you do change it, want to change it throughout the race. Uh, most of the time, it, you can, through enough practice runs, learn what it's going to kind of do because you need it one place on that restart. And, and then as the tires wear, generally, I tend to start rolling my brake further back and back the deeper I get into a run as the car is trying to get tighter. Well, if you uh, – I don't know if you were paying attention, Mike, when I was talking about Richmond uh, before uh, we got into the race there on Monday night, but uh, I had done a test where I had let David know – and a bunch of them that were on just the different uh how much the, the heat and the tire wear was different from five different five to uh five percent difference going more rear brake than front and how much it uh changed the temperatures and the tires on a run of 40 laps yeah and i had already taken like six percent out of the front but before you had tested to me uh brake bias is one of those things that can um vary from person to person based on the equipment they're working with in my in my opinion i think uh you know one person's uh over braking could be caused by by their differences in how their pedals are set up and they can compensate for that maybe by changing brake bias i have a tendency to uh, lock up my brakes pretty easy maybe i over pedals or something and i usually fix that by uh by dialing back the brake bias a little bit to get the uh brake pressure back on the rear wheels to stabilize it a little bit better. But um, I think I think hardware can have a little bit of, of an effect on that too. But um, it's still something you should work with to get your optimal brake pressure and uh, and set up, you know, stability. Well, and I think um, David kind of already, you know, talked about this is it, it, there's differences between how you would do it in road racing compared to you do it on ovals. Obviously, Dave, uh, is talking in this video on road, but on ovals, cars tend to uh, build tight on ovals. So you're going to start pushing the further you get into a run on, on it most of the time. Um, so you, sometimes you can combat that by moving the brake bias rear to, to help you get into the corners better. It's, it, it's more of like helping to turn in and, um, you know, take some of that heat out of the front of the tires. And then on the road, you could have different, you know, if I don't know if you've ever watched some of the F1 drivers, they're changing brake bias from corner to corner on some of their tracks that they're doing. Um, 
all the time. I don't, I don't think David and I go that far when we ever do road stuff, but we do, I do move it around as I'm going and uh, a run sometimes. I have actually had to change. There's a couple of tracks. I don't remember if it was the LMP one or the LMP two where, or maybe one of the F formula cars that I was changing the traction control, depending on what part of the track I was in. Dave Cam alluded to that, you know, changing bias for different corners, you know, as you go around. My situation is uh, I'd probably do it if I had like a knob and, or dedicated buttons. Uh, I don't. I mean, in fact, I have less buttons than I had before with my new podium hub. Um, I've, I've actually had to forfeit a bunch of buttons that I had on the old hub. And so I'm just trying to use a keyboard right now and that's it. And I have no button box and uh, very limited as far as that goes. So yeah, will I eventually get one where I have a big old knob I can twist? Yeah, I'll probably use it then too. But right now it's kind of hard with the keyboard and remembering what buttons I may have mapped or not mapped. And yeah. But when you're in an oval car, you're using your sequential now, right? Yeah. So you have your paddles. That's what I have assigned. Pa the paddles were not compatible. I didn't weren't able to put those on the podium hub. The plug-in was much different. Uh, it was longer versus shorter. You need to get a button box like I will. We're working on a rig. Uh, that next level rig is on my list. <laughs> you, need debating, you need to get uh, some of that Brian money. Well, I was debating with Tony uh, what to buy first because I can't buy it all at once. So I'm either going to get the quad monitor mount or the seat or the rig. And so we were just trying to decide between the three, and I still haven't decided. Well, Brian, speaking of builds, or sorry, Mike, speaking of builds here, uh, what do we got going for next year? Well, this was about what just came out, season four build. I, I asked in our team chat, hey, because it didn't seem, I didn't feel a lot of excitement, you know, from the guys um, like we had in season three. Um, and you can kind of tell with within our group. And so I just asked, I put up a poll in our chat. Hey, what's the favorite thing from the new build? Haven't tried anything yet. AI and hosted, new tracks, or it's a lame build. I also put it, and then, and so we had votes on those four, uh, and haven't tried anything yet. Won, really, uh, the voting, and AI and hosted finished uh, second in the voting. I don't know. It's uh, kind of like every race can be. Some you're not going to have a knockout race every time, but also this was not an oval heavy race. There wasn't really anything new coming out for the ovals, uh, other than Hickory. So I think we're biased on that. There was a lot of good stuff that came out in the, in the on the roadside. Well, yeah, and one of the things I've in the uh, in that in that chat was that you know, if Mount Washington was included in this release, I think it would change a lot of people's opinions on how this how how their their opinions on this. It, the, Mount Washington was a huge when it came out. Everybody was so excited. We talked about it for what a month straight, and yeah. uh, so you know, if that was included in this, I think uh, it would have been a lot better response to this poll. Yeah, that came out mid-build. Um, they tried to get it out the week of the actual race, so that's why it was out early. But you're right; that would make that would change the whole perspective of it. Um, all this other stuff would be gravy on top of Mount Washington. You know, this kind of, I think this build, uh, if I was gonna like sum it up, it kind of just as a cleanup of the season, right? It's there's nothing spectacular about it. I mean, like David was saying, if you were a road guy you got to be excited to get, you know, you get a couple, you get a track, you get 
the new Porsche uh, cup car that they're going to use there. Um, new Ferrari. New Ferrari. I mean, it's it's we we we've been so lucky on the oval side to have some of the focus on some of the things they do, and it's good to see the road side has gotten it. I mean, if imagine if you were a dirt dirt guy or a um, anything like that, they're all going to vary from season to season. I just think, I just think this build was kind of like tying up some loose ends and uh, finishing off the year. Yeah, some of the quotes in the chat were, uh, "It's a meh build." Uh, the other chat one was, "Not much sexy in this build." I'm happy with Hickory. The GT3 cars feel a lot different, as well as the Indy car. I feel I can attack harder into the corners than I could. The GT3 cars are always felt like they had no grip going into the corner, then no power coming off. And then the other one is, I think because the cup car wasn't affected at all, that makes it less too. I think that was my quote. I think mm-hmm. that <laughs> was part of what I said. I, I think if you would have had every other car got a change. So if you look at the Xfinity car, got the, the shock change and so did the truck. Um, and they got a little bit of tire change, but they didn't affect anything on the cup car at all. Um, and like you guys alluded to, obviously that that car is going away. Obviously we got what eight races left with it, eight weeks left with it. And then an off season. It does make me a little curious because we haven't heard any, or I haven't remember hearing, hearing anything about the damage model with the next gen car. I can understand why they dropped it on the, on this car, knowing they were working on the next gen, but the next gen does seem to be running the older model, right? Now, David, do you think that some of this might have to be for that to actually view it on the track uh, and see how it kind of reacts to an accident too? Like, I mean, that does, cars do break differently when, you know, in an accident, maybe because the bodies are a little different, they're trying to see what it might look like. Yeah, but the the difference with the damage model, the old damage model, the new damage model, and the, what it was doing to the cars was drastic. Uh, if you don't, if, I don't know if you remember, but when they put it out on the cup car, the Gen 6, you could get a ding and be down like 20 MPH per lap from a ding. I think uh, if we don't get that a damage model on the next-gen cup car in this next build, season one of 2022, you're not going to see it till probably this time next year at the earliest because I don't, I don't see them installing a damage model in the middle of a Coke season. You know, right. I just don't. I just don't see them doing that in the middle of the season. So I think if you want a, a new damage model for the next gen Cup car, I think our only chance really is uh, this coming season. And uh, if not, I don't think you're going to wait till the end of next year. That's a pretty good guess, but I would love to hear an update. Speaking of the damage model, um, t- just earlier before the recording, they they. Uh broadcast the first race at Watkins Glen of the new Grand Prix series with the new uh, Delara jet car, as I call it. And I was been watching that and uh, a magnificent wreck early in the race uh, where cars were going everywhere and they have the damage model on. It. And this is the first time I can think of that, you know, iRacing is broadcasting, a, you know, an official championship series with a, a proper damage model. And uh, it was cool to see this, the cars, the parts going everywhere. And one guy was parked and another guy came flying by and just literally took out the left side pods and the left wheel and the left wheels completely just sideswiped all the car away. Um, some incredible shots uh, that they were showing. That's, and I hope they 
I hope they do have a damage per Coke next year because I think it's going to add that extra little little something to the Coke Series races. You know, you know, it's it's kind of weird seeing these huge crashes and the cars are all in one piece pretty much, other than you know just some missing missing body panels. Well, now that we're talking season three or season four build, how about the uh, season three uh, wrap up stats, Brian? We got a report from our guy who puts all this stuff together. Yeah, this is uh, from Rob Crouch. And um, if you guys have been listening to the show for a while, at the end of every season, he would post all the stats, you know, all this information from the previous season with uh, winning percentages, participation, and all that stuff. Well, he's doing a little something different now. He's got a website called iRacingReports.com. And uh, in this in this uh, website, you can actually go all the way back from this current season that just ended all the way back to the season one of 2017 for all official iRacing series and special events uh, results and stats. So that's pretty cool that you can. Uh, he's got that big of an um, of a of a website that has all those that information on it, um, and he can uh, he still is able to do like. He used to be able to do custom outputs, you know, custom stats for teams and drivers if you if you requested it from him. That's still available. But uh, so he's got that new website, irishreports.com. It's pretty cool. It is. I've been looking at it. In fact, you can uh, pull up the NASCAR iRacing series. You have to do a filter uh, after you click on seasons, uh, type it in. Uh, but you can't pull up this year because this year's not over yet. So he only reports on seasons that are officially finished. And if you know, the NASCAR iRacing season is actually part of season one, 2021 until it finishes. And so, uh, but when I looked at last year's, uh, David, I saw your name listed there. Most starts, I think it was. Is it the most or close to the most? I don't think, did I actually have the most in the NIS? Or are you talking about season three? Are you talking no, about last I'll year's have to NIS? Pull it up again and look. Oh, I, I probably, I mean, I get to, yeah, last year, especially with us being off from school four months instead of two, it, it opened up NIS a lot. And so he's got a Discord bot too that does stats. And this thing is pretty cool too. And I think that's his paid part of it kind of thing. Um, where if you pay them, you can get this Discord bot that does uh, reporting on the fly right in Discord. So he's got a separate kind of page for that uh, you can click over to and learn about. Um, it's a pretty neat graphical output. I mean, this guy is known for good, uh, easy-to-read stats, and that's what it looks like in the Discord chat when um, he basically does a, uh, exclamation point driver Rob Crouch is what you type into discord and then the the bot regurgitates the stats kind of a handy thing for a team or a league maybe i don't know the uh the regular even the website interface it's tough to look a whole bunch of stuff up they're gonna give up if you want to go back and look it's kind of tricky even to go back and look how many if you've won at a certain track or how many wins you've got at it or if you even started there that kind of stuff is kind of hard to filter out you know that's what I was, you're, you're right, David. I was thinking that today, like if I won the Bristol NIS race and I've, you know, I've been doing this for so long, you know, I honestly don't remember. And it'd be great if I could just, you know, do a quick search or something and, and pull it up. But uh, to go try to narrow that down on the iRacing uh, website. Yeah. Good luck. I want to pick up the next one with a potential massive bug involving the AI rosters. Uh, 
and you can basically go in and read a bunch of details on it, but this guy was running an entire season with AI, and then suddenly he lost all of his information, and for some reason one of the files got got uh, basically overrun, and it's in a text format. So he suggests at the end of the, the forum post, just copy your roster.json file uh, to help make sure something like this doesn't uh, take out your season. Now, I do believe this has since been fixed by a patch from Trading Paints. And so, uh, as, if you recall, in the last week, there's been two Trading Paints updates, I believe. And so, the second one is the one that fixed this problem. And, yeah, if you ran one of your – if you're mid-season and you have, you know, all this stuff going on, you just lost it if you ran it before that update. Bummer. Well, speaking of Trading Paints, how do you get an uh, – Greg, are you back with us? Yeah, so I guess the uh, trading paints is having, or someone was asking in the forums how to get the trading paints uh, AI roster into iRacing. Uh, so I guess it was Busa that was asking it. Um, so on tr uh, on trading paints, it says all you have to do is is favorite a collection, open your downloader, and open iRacing UI. However, any roster I have, uh, I favorite. Uh, does not show up in drop down list when I try to set up the AI session or host a session with AI. What am I missing? Um, oh, it was broken. That's until they fixed it. So that's okay. So that's happened. basically what he was just reporting it, and then they did fix it. And it was a little frustrating for a lot of these guys because the AI had just come out. You know, you could use and host it, and people were wanting to try it. And uh, you know, anytime you're you, you know, the trading paints thing is pretty cool. I mean, you go in there and find collections. I've gone and hit the favorite on a bunch of them, like a super late models and several NASCAR ones. And Pencil. then when you're in the UI, you can just select them from the drop down when you're uh, just past the AI, you know, how many AI guys you have and that kind of thing. All right, well, another bug. I was sort of saying, we're about, we are hitting the bugs, right? So you're going to hit us with the next one. This one's kind of funky. It's a visual bug and. Uh, we got a, a forum post where they basically are running Darlington at night, well past uh, sunset, but a bright, uh, shiny uh, sun reflecting off the the roof of the car. So, like, you got this reflection from a sun that's not there, and uh, it certainly looks odd. Are you sure it's not the chosen car? Pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of a neat look, but... Uh, yeah, Sean Nash from staff, uh, you know, asked him some more information about how to get it. You know, can I get the replay? You know, can I get your DX11 I and I? And they're going to investigate how this has happened. Pretty crazy little bug. Hey, uh, Brian, um, you uh, don't uh, live in California. You live in Wisconsin, right? But uh, what is in California next year is a short track race. Um. Yeah, I actually live in Pennsylvania, but Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, same thing. Uh, so, enough. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyway. uh, uh, so, yeah, so um, one of the big announcements from NASCAR this, this uh, past week was that the Clash is going to be moved to the L.A. Coliseum in 2022. So, uh, apparently, they're going to build a track um, around the outside wall of that Coliseum, you know, the famous Coliseum that first debuted in the uh, Olympics, I think 84 would be my guess. Um, and uh, they're going to build a short track in there. 
uh, iRacing uh, ha- again work working in conjunction with NASCAR uh, built it built a uh, a test model. You know, they they laid out the track on the uh, on the Coliseum floor and basically uh, tested some laps there, seeing how it was driving. Um, early indications is that uh, it's it's a pretty fun place to drive. So that's uh, really new. I know uh, Los Angeles is a market that that I, uh, NASCAR is uh, desperate to try to tap into even more than it is. Um, and I have a feeling that this is like, you know, you, we all know the auto club is being changed from that two mile D oval to a short track. I, I'm almost wondering if uh, they would have done it there if it was done in time. Uh, but, but for now it's just going to be done at the LA Coliseum. It's kind of interesting. Starting. So, this video, the first one that NASCAR released to announce it, it has iRacing spliced in. It's different views of the NASCAR stars, the actual Coliseum, like real pictures of it. They also have video from past events like Super Bowls and and different things that have happened at the Coliseum. Uh, but then you could see iRacing, uh, you know, cars on the track kind of thing, uh, you know, cut in. And, it, and for the casual viewer, I bet they didn't know it was iRacing. And, and, and that's what NASCAR really loves about having iRacing is to be able to come up with this kind of stuff. Hey, we want to show the cars on the track that we're talking about going to. Hey, let's uh, work with iRacing and they'll put up something and we can, you know, make a video. On the uh, broadcast here for us, I have it freeze framed on one of the cars. It has the iRacing logo right on the front hood of the car. Right. And of course, we're used to seeing eye racing, you know, so we have that discerning eye and I could easily tell when I looked at it that it was eye racing. I'm curious to see how the pits are going to work. Are they going to actually keep them in the infield or make them go under the uh, stadium to pit like like the old Ram Raceway or Dodge Raceway? So then Fox NASCAR uh, put up a video from their NASCAR Race Hub show. They had Clint Boyer, Tyler Reddick, and Jamie McMurray doing laps at this track. And it was kind of fun to watch uh, them, you know, uh, Clint doing his normal, you know, comedic uh, spiel. But it's a quarter mile uh, Martinsville kind of style flat oval. Steve Myers uh, tweeted, we ran races this week with some of our Coke drivers on multiple configurations and the racing looked terrific. I think we're very close to nailing down the final version. The curb you see on the apron was a new addition this week based on the racing we saw. If it is a quarter mile, they might really have to do something along the lines of heat races because I can't imagine fitting 40 cars on a quarter mile. It clashes and flat. It'll be the chase plus uh, pulse or uh, stuff, right? Yeah, that's stipulations. 25, right? But something I, like that. I, wanna, I want this to make it into the regular season at some point. You're probably never going to see this as a regular season track because I don't see them wanting to risk because there's so many unknowns. Like obviously, if they race this this one, they're going to know about the. But how, can you temporarily put down a track every year to run a race there? Like, what happens if one year the race the track doesn't take and it ruins or they have a bad something bad happen to it? What if they show up and the car just won't make the turn? You know. <laughs> like it's too sharp of a turn well the car can always make the turn you just have to go slower you just have to stop and turn it right well what they'll do is you just yeah, that... put a steering box and it makes it do it they can always make the car 
turn sharper. Yeah, that would that would be uh, the smallest track on the circuit. Then I mean, that's considerably smaller than Martinsville, even. Do you yeah. think this is kind yeah. of? Uh, sorry, David. This, this is kind of maybe a test that something small like this um, helps them feed into the, get into these quarter mile tracks and go to the some of these smaller ones like the Nashville one, uh, which is a bit bigger, isn't it? Nashville's the Nashville short track's pretty good, a little bit bigger than what this would be. But is it kind of maybe just like a test session to see if these cars and a race would be good around something like that? I think the number one driver is get to the LA market more than anything. Yeah, I think so too. And and I think uh, this race will be held at Auto Club once they get their short track done. I wonder if uh, this is a a model for that short track at Fontana. You know, will they make a quarter mile? I mean, I I would think not. It'll yeah, be a half mile. Yeah, that's just. That's going to be too small for for a, a full field of cars, um, but uh, you know this this stadium holds a ton of people. So I mean, it's it would be like a miniature Bristol actually, as far as uh, the the uh, amount of fans that get in here, and, and um, without the banking, and that's going to be the killer because there's going to be uh, these cars are all going to be checking up so hard in these turns. It's going to be a interesting race to watch, I think. Do you think that they do sometime try and go to, say, uh, a quarter mile track like this and, and, and capitalize on like having a branding of something like, say, like the Monster 1000? It could be like a 1000 lap race because it's only a quarter mile, right? That would still take forever. Oh, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying, like, having one of those big events. All I could think is, you know, here's Kenseth. He's waiting for Logano to come back around. And, oh, there's Logano going around him. And, oh, he's into him. And they're into the fence. It's going to be great short track racing. I can't imagine the carnage they're going to have. Yeah. I mean, unless unless they just take it easy, there's not going to be a car that comes out of that race without dents or at the, at the best. They should just take all the old Gen 6s and run them there. Well, in the past yeah, when they did the Bush class at the Daytona Oval, I mean, those were throwaway cars. You know, they pretty much knew, hey, we're, we're going to this Bush class with this particular car, and we don't expect to bring it home, you know. But the thing is, is, and I think the biggest question is, is why are they dragging the first year of this new car? Like, I just don't understand how the owners said okay, because with their counsel, would they not have some say in this saying, you know, we got to drag – brand new cars all the way across and it only has to be half of the um the field so half the field could lose one car already out of one part of their season of something that they haven't built inventory for and all these manufacturers that are making their parts haven't built inventory for it just seems this could be something good for 2023 it just seems unnecessary for 2022 don't you think i do um uh, these and one of the things they, they mentioned on DBC is that man, the the drivers in this car they're going to be crossing the country back and forth like crazy the first week leading up to Daytona. Well, and <laughs> there are laws as a truck driver, even as a team truck driving, trying to get these these vehicles from one side of the to the other and and back and and move all over. Because didn't we say on this? Didn't we see on the schedule? I, I don't know. We're probably talking about the schedule here, but. They're going to go from California to Daytona back to California. Like, what does that make sense? Why would you do that? I don't think the L.A. market is that important myself. Let California rot. But Well, if, if other sports are any indication, 
you know, every everybody wants that LA market, and then teams go there like in football, and they just they just die for whatever reason. I, I don't know if maybe because of the time difference and when the games start, or 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 just the the population doesn't get into sports as much as some of the other places do. Everybody sees those big population numbers, but it doesn't always translate very well to uh, to professional sport teams. And and who knows, maybe NASCAR would be like that as well. One of the things that's a little different with L.A. compared to most of the other cities is is area. It's more spread out and just sprawled out than any of the other cities. So uh, they have. So it's just harder to get anywhere within a recent within a decent amount of time. At LA, it's just, it's not just a lot of people. They're spread out over a vast land area. Well, the other thing that uh, I thought of too when it's coming with this is we are what, four or five months? Was it February, right? So what, we're five, six months away from this? What if COVID's still a thing and LA is the one that's the harshest on all their restrictions? Are they not? So, what if nobody gets to go and see this race in the Coliseum? What if it's locked down all of a sudden because of an outbreak, say in February? I'm not. It'd be NASCAR's luck. I mean, it it seems like such a risk. They can come to Memphis. They'll, we'll take them. They'll just and do a Daytona road course instead. No, no big deal. Well, and they have that risk of having that for all. Like you know, we went to Sonoma this year, but they had to cancel Sonoma the following year. They canceled Fontana, right? Like it's it's difficult to know when something's going to get canceled or not. I know football and that seems to just seem to be doing whatever they want, but here NASCAR, I don't know if they have that kind of pull if they needed to. Well, I guess we'll find out. Let's jump onto some uh, neater news that's a little bit more uh, bringing things back home to us. Uh, we have the Sim Racing Podcast playlist sending a shout out. Uh, actually, we're sending a shout out to uh, the guy from Quick Street Strim, Sims. He uh, has a nice channel going and uh, he covered his playlist of five racer or racing podcasts, uh, three of them being fairly iRacing centric. And we were the one, last one he covered. And he even gave a little shot or shout out to uh, the aftermath as well. Yeah, pretty cool. They have a listener. Uh... You know, basically call us out as uh, one of his favorite sim racing podcasts. Um, a couple of quotes he said uh, made me feel real proud. He said, all the shows and others deserve credit for making sim racing what it is today. And the longest running podcast in this hobby space. He pointed out how we 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 dive in pretty deep with our research which is sort of true. I mean, you you spend most of the time, you and Brian spend most of the time casual. prepping. Casual. Yeah, we're casual, but we do spend a lot of time prepping, uh, especially Mike and Brian on getting the script ready. We we, we Me and Greg just kind of get, get to read it and wing it. If you hadn't noticed. But he does have a good point. Um, I think shows like ours are good for the listeners out there who want to learn about sim racing. Uh, they want to learn about iRacing specifically. Uh, this guy said he particularly likes our hardware section. And so, uh, you know, David and I were talking, well, maybe we need to talk about more hardware, you know, because of that. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, people who are into it, they want to you know, absorb everything. They want to learn more. They have their cell phone. They want to, 
you know, how can I go on social media and, and learn about iRacing? Well, hey, check out some podcasts. Well, and like you're saying there, you have your cell phone. We all have done it where you start looking at something on YouTube and then what, two hours later, you're, you know, you're down the rabbit hole of finding this and that. And, you know, who's, who's to say they didn't start at our podcast or someone else's podcast and, and see something on the hardware and direct it somewhere else or a topic. And they just, you know, they start finding stuff out that they really need. We also don't get, we get sponsored every once in a while by hardware companies, but the overwhelming majority of these guys, we just, we find what we dig and just say, say what we see. Um, and how much of y'all's money or no, how much of my money have y'all spent since even before I joined the show? How much of Brian's money has this show spent? Well, I mean, you know, Brian's money bags over there. You, you don't have to worry about us. He's spending it himself. Well, We're not helping a really him a lot. Nice setup, you know, and, but Brian, you got a lot of the ideas by listening to this show. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, there's a couple of things that I really, uh, really liked that we had in hardware that I, I just jumped on and, uh, took and took a, took a chance on them. Uh, so a lot of the stuff was from other drivers there too. Uh, Steve, Steve let me in on a, a lot of things there, but, um, yeah, I mean, before, like I said, I'm the newest guy out of everybody on the show today to this podcast. And I was a, a religious listener before I joined the team and I loved listening to the, to the uh, hardware. I just love checking stuff out that you guys were talking about. Um, you know, we have the, that was before we have this, uh, website, which works really good. I wish we had it when I was listening back then, cause I could just go to that one site and look at all this stuff. So guys check that out. But, um, I used to stop the podcast as I was listening to it, just to look at hardware and see what you guys were talking about. And, uh, it is a it is one of the more fun things that I, I remember listening uh, listening to when I was uh, before I joined the team and uh, it's it's really cool and it gives you great ideas it makes you think about how you would do something you know it makes you dream about stuff and salivate over things so yeah I I, I love that part of the show as well. Well, we definitely appreciate the uh, shout out and probably will reach out to the guy to. Uh, do some kind of a sharing of podcast and guest at some point. It'll be pretty neat. The next thing we have is the NASCAR 2022 cup schedule or am I too far down? I am too far down. We have after Not that, right here. Are we? Hey, that is actually a perfect transition. I was going to cut that out, but not now. Cause that was perfect. So, uh, it looks like we have, uh, a little tease uh, for the road. Atlanta is getting some of its lighting done for, I'm guessing this is in, in lieu of Le, uh, Petit Le Mans coming up in the next David. Did you know, I don't remember if we figured out when it was actually coming up, but it's not far away. Well, it's, right? It's on the script. We're covering it. Oh, well, it's amazing what happens when we learn on the script. There we go. Um, anyways. So I racing shared it on their uh, official Twitter page there or, is this Twitter or Instagram? Instagram, sorry. And uh, that they have a nice picture of it. Uh, looks like the Porsche. I think it's the new Porsche going around the track there. Um, looks looks off like awesome. I, I I can't wait to see what this track looks like at night because it's a fun track to race. That's one of those shots that doesn't look like eye racing with the way that's all lit up. You know, lights on the buildings, kind of thing, and you know, uh, 
there's some lights around the track, but they don't light the actual surface, right? Is that like a, I mean, that looks like a gas station or something that over, that's a lit up overhang, right? What, the Michelin bridge there? Yeah. The walking bridge to the stand. Oh, okay. I've never, I've ne- I don't ever remember seeing that actually on the track because you I come, guess I've never run there down, at night. You come down the hill and make that sharp turn right under the finish line. There's a bridge right yeah, there. But I've never run Atlanta at night, so I've never noticed it lit up like that, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, next, we have the NIS 2022 schedule, or I mean the NASCAR schedule. Uh, NASCAR announced uh, officially the clash, as we talked about, at the Coliseum. Now, I, uh, I'm going to interrupt you. So I think you had it right the first time. We, they put out the NIS schedule, and the NASCAR decides to follow it. Yeah, is that what it was? Who cares about the NASCAR schedule? It's the NIS schedule. That's right. So we know we're going to be at the Coliseum. Um for the clash, but, uh, and, and that's actually not part of NIS. So, uh, I wonder, are we going to have a special event for the clash? I mean, or something like that when we'll they get, release the track, we'll get Tony a, in it. A opens a open. Yeah. yeah. It'll be an a open, but I'm sure we can host something as well. The other big change, uh, notable for the series uh, schedule is the, uh, wide Worldwide Technology Raceway uh, outside St. Louis on June 5th, and then Pocono is one race instead of two. I'm going to be traveling twice in June because both of those races are while I'm off. I have family in St. Louis. I'm I'm excited. That's that's a fun track. I've watched the trucks there. I've watched uh, Arca there. I was actually there when uh, when Natalie Decker first hit hit got her pole that year. And the security wasn't that tight that year. And we were able to uh, just literally watch the race sitting on pit road for the, for the entire uh, truck race. It was pretty neat. Another thing is uh, Bristol dirt is going to be returning. So they're going to be trying that again, see, see if they can uh, keep the dust down this time. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, I think they dropped one road course, right? Daytona road. Yeah, but they're keeping Indianapolis uh, dead turtles. I mean, uh, road course. I want to see what that what they're gonna do because iRacing's obviously scanned it. So now they need to update whatever when they go back there next year to see what they've done to that turn. If they're gonna change it with the curbing, and hopefully iRacing keeps on board with it. I think they should just go ahead and go full board. And was was it Michael McDowell that made the jump there? They should just put a ramp there. So um, that Bristol Dirt race is actually on Sunday, April seventeenth, which is Easter. They usually take Easter off. Yeah, is Easter really that late this year or next year? Yeah, yeah, April seventeenth. Um, so that's interesting. I don't. And that's going to be. Uh, that might. That's going to be a. That could be a. It's got to be day, right? They're not going to race Bristol Dirt at night. Did they, they talk should. about? I think they're talking about it was supposed to be night because they wanted to get it without the dust, right? They wanted less yeah. of the dust. That would help there's, with dust. There's no off weekend anywhere near there on either side. So I guess they just couldn't squeeze it in the way it fell this time. Well, they always took Mother's Day off and and raced on Father's Day, and now they're doing the reverse again, are they not? So it looks like uh, they'll wrap up with Phoenix yet again for the championship. And I have a feeling by then we'll be having the newly configured Phoenix. I hope so. Well, we are supposed to, what was it? Indianapolis, Watkins Glen, and Phoenix were the ones that were in that updates coming in 2022. 
Yes. Well, we're still talking season four stuff, and uh, actually, we're not. We were talking the next season, but we do have a patch that got put out recently. Brian, you want to tell us a little about that? Yeah. So uh, they just dropped a new patch. I just loaded it this, this afternoon. Um, some of the new things that are on there is uh, it seems like they're really tinkering a lot with the AI racing. Um, we had mentioned earlier that there was a big crash in, in the, one of the AI sessions that a guy had laid out. So they have some, uh, they're doing some additional training, they call it, for entering the pits at Sebring. So uh, I guess the AI cars are going to get better at getting into the picks, pits there. Um, there's some uh, graphical updates where uh, there was an issue with some animated characters when they used that speed tree you, you, uh, utility that we talked about a few weeks ago with the three-dimensional trees. Uh, so uh, it looks like they're working on some kinks with that. Um, they're adding uh, helmet, helmets with indicators for AI. So if you're in a hosted race with other AI cars, you'll be able to tell the uh, the AI cars from the actual real drivers. That's um, neat because... If you're racing Nim Cross, I want to know if it's the real Nim Cross, <laughs> you know? That's a good point. Uh, there's a couple issues with some race servers that they had to fix where they could cause crashes. Um, and fix an issue where human players would be assigned to AI teams. That's interesting. And that would cause a crash to the desktop. Few, uh, quite a, a, lot quite of, a few a lot tweaks ups, in the car side, yeah. Yeah, a lot of ups in the cars. Um, a lot of... A lot of update the tracks and a common theme to a lot of the tracks is it says there's a gap filler model that's been added to help hide seams in the world. So that's, that's, I, I guess that's, that's gaps new. on the track. Yeah. Well, what I, what I think they're talking about now, when we hear seams, we think about actual seams, you know, on a racetrack with the asphalt seams, yeah. what they're thinking, what they're talking about here is places where the texture is uh not perfectly lining up and so you can see a big white line or a white. either a white line or you can or you can just like say if it, the texture is kind of you know if you're talking about asphalt you got lots of little specks but the seam will be where the specks aren't perfectly round because atlanta be, had one for the off. longest time coming off turn four well that that makes a lot more sense because you know they, I'm, I'm sure they don't want to mess with the actual scanning of the tracks if, unless there was some update in the real world. One thing I noticed about this patch is the, uh, the Hungora ring, man, they changed a lot, uh, you know, in the, for a brand new track. And it almost looks like they finished it. Uh, like maybe they put it out when they weren't quite completely done with all the little tiny, tiny details. And now they've added the, uh, the details, uh, a lot of these are just little tiny things that, um, and so it, it just makes you wonder were they were they rushing it out or what? This kind of reminds me of what they do with a lot of like video games nowadays. They get it to because they gotta get it onto a disc. Obviously, they don't have to here, but they gotta get it out for a certain date. So they release it, and then what they call is a day one patch when it's finally drops on the day one of it. But this is kind of like a couple days later where they just finish everything up to that needed to be tweaked. And there are some things that just don't show up until it gets out in the real world and hits every computer that exists out there. But okay. a, lot, a lot of this stuff really did look kind of a, just kind of touching touch-ups that they hadn't finished. So unbeknownst to Greg, we are talking about Petit Le Mans this week. It's coming up. It's a 10 hour endurance race. That's held 
annually at Road Atlanta in Brasselton, Georgia. And it's the marquee event, or one of them, for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. It's going to be running on October 1st through 3rd. Um, there's the four time slots that have been used in most of the endurance races this year. Obviously, it's running at Road Atlanta, and it'll be using the uh, standard IMSA cars. So you got your LMP1. I think we have five GTE cars that can run now. No, I think they still have it cut down to four because they added another GT3 car to the class. Uh, could be wrong there, though. They may not, They might have all five back in. Yeah, we lost the link to this uh, page, for, but we'll have to get it back in there. The next event, uh, we heard from a listener, John Fowler, about MassCar. Not NASCAR, but MassCar. He said, uh, the name of the new league is called MassCar. We will be doing a dirt series that will be starting on the 8th of November. To join, there is a $10 fee. Be running two different cars. We're going to rotate cars each week. Two cars are Prolate models and the 358 modified. We'll be running fixed sets as well. Dirt series will run on Monday nights. Practice starts at 8:30 p.m. Eastern. I'm working on getting a broadcast to do all 10 weeks. We're going to run the Cup cars next year. When the new season starts, we're going to follow the NASCAR schedule. These races will be on Thursday nights and also will have a $10 fee. So please check out the website. And the website is mascar2021.wixsite.com backslash leak. So Greg has basically conned me into uh, wrecking his uh, Ford supercar again this weekend. Is that what we're doing, the Ford? That's the only one I own, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> have we settled on what date we're doing it? <laughs> We have um, done uh, nothing except for me go onto the track and wreck about seven times last night and the night before. So it looks like we got a choice four of four time, time slots. So Saturday at one o'clock GMT, which is for the Australian servers. Uh, Saturday at seven o'clock GMT is a US server, 12 o'clock GMT US server, and then 1600 GMT US server. I'm guessing we're probably going to be the second time slot, David. Or is it? Or is that behind? Is is it forward or backwards? I can never remember. Um, seven GMT. You don't want to do because that's uh, like, twelve. Then that's two in the morning for your time. <laughs> okay, so yeah, twelve, 12. is early. Twelve would be Saturday morning for us. Twelve or or the sixteen hundred. For all you guys who who like to do uh, simple time math, mathing in the in the summer, just take away uh, just minus four if you're in Eastern. East Coast, just remember minus four. And in this winter, it's minus five. I'm excited for this race. I, I love this track. I love this car. I can't wait. I still haven't, I still just don't feel right in it. I can't get a rhythm. I'm trying to remember what uh, what rim I raced last year with, if it was my F1 rim or my actual rally rim to try and for this car. I, could, I, I thought I was switch train trying to figure it out, but it'll be interesting to see when we test after the podcast tonight. I'm, I'm currently set up to run the on the formula rim but the way it's handling i'm wondering if i should switch over to the oval rim and use a sequential shifter just the way it's driving well that's what i was i was i think last year i ran the oval rim just because of the way it felt just because the, the f1 rim is more of a a quick darting rim yeah and the problems that i'm having there's in a lot of places is actually getting loose on the exit We'll see. We'll uh, get hyped. We'll report. Uh, 
we'll, we'll talk about it next week. And it uh, will basically come on, come down to whether I screw up or not, probably. I guess I'll start. Yeah, that way, that way we ensure you at least get to run some laps. You know, so because you don't want me to like, you know, spin out right as you're coming into pit road and about and the other person's about to get in the car. Um, Intimidator Challenge is coming up in the sprint cars, Brian. Well, now that we've bored everybody, everybody can come back now. Yeah, if Tony was here, <laughs> if Tony was here, he would be uh, saying it, we would see him sleeping on Discord right now. I think I saw Mike on the camera nodding off there a bit. This one is a lot more exciting. Go ahead, Brian. This is called the Intimidator Challenge. Uh, we got this from Noah Carmichael. He said on September 24th, him and some friends are going to be hosting the inaugural Intimidator Challenge. Um, so this is going to be a sprint car race, not the dirt sprint cars. This is the wingless uh, asphalt sprint cars at Talladega, which Ooh. is going to be crazy. So um, it's going to be a week long process. It's going to have they're going to have four practice sessions starting between September 18th and the 21st, and then they're going to have a poll night on the 22nd where they'll find out who 24 drivers are going to make the main event. And they're actually going to expand the field to 33 if they have more than 60 entries. Uh, if you do win the poll, you're going to win 50 bucks for that courtesy of ambitious cloud and then the race itself will be on september 24th at 8 p.m and it's actually going to be 76 laps at talladega they're going to broadcast live on pitstop tv so um, the only cost to enter this is a donation to a gofundme page that's been set up by marshall and shabaral pruitt as uh shabaral continues an ongoing battle with cancer so uh guys uh if you want to sign up go to the gofundme page uh be generous as you can uh, and help help the family out with their cancer issue but um man sprint cars they're if they're geared right they're good they can they can hit close to 200 miles i would think two mile, 200 miles an hour at talladega and if they go they go sideways they're going to roll for miles it's the cars are just going to be flipping and flopping for for forever at that speed i mean you know you see these uh sprint cars on you know these quarter mile you know third of a mile tracks flip they flip 20 times you know these cars are going to be going twice as fast that could be really interesting as a matter of fact i might play around with that when i get some free time uh, uh how that car runs at talladega it was this time last year I was running this car a lot and ran off all my I rating and I really haven't gotten it back and it's been a year. Um, so I really paid the price by running that car for that season. I think it was season three or season four I ran it, but it's a fun car. Uh, looks like a good event. So can you actually bump drift in this car in this track? You can bump drift, but I don't know about Talladega. Other regular tracks you can. I don't know if you'll be able to draft that much, period. I mean, these cars, I don't know what kind of holes they punch and what kind of drag they're going to cause. Um, who knows how they even modeled it, to be honest with you, because it's a, like such a fantasy type of matchup. It probably doesn't have, it definitely doesn't have the, quote, super speedway package, right? Like the completely different engine Correct. and all the, yeah. yeah. No. So there's no telling what it might do. But we've done stuff like, remember when we did the Radicals at a two-mile track? and how it was basically like super speedway racing yeah those were fun too 
But uh, those those cars, I, I imagine you can't gear them too much because it's just a single speed, right? It's a single speed transmission, so it's not like you can go through the gears to go go from you know uh, up to two hundred miles an hour. So if they gear it up as high as they can, it's going to be like a bog down really bad at the beginning until it starts to wind up. Let's just hope they've tested this before. <laughs> Trying to say that they're going to put this event on. Because it is the inaugural, but... I'm going to go try it now, just just to see. Podcast housekeeping notes. Don't forget the Aftermath podcast. You can go out and find that at any podcast platform. We have our new website, iRacersLounge.com. Go there for the show notes. We're over at the Performance Motorsports Network. Check them out. Fantasy. Oh, I did bring guys. up uh, the the results for this week at Richmond, and I have yeah. uh, no, one, number one Conklin Speedworks, number two Res Dog, three Trick Dickel, uh, tied uh, fourth, uh, and it was tied for third. Old Baby Forty Four, uh, fifth Fat Boy Nineteen Ninety, six uh, Tony Groves TGI One Racing, seventh GI JoJo Twenty Four X, eighth Cletus Forty Five. Ninth, there you are, Brian, Mac Rubin, and 10th, Smiling Ninja. Yeah, that was a, a good week. Um, Tony Groves, who has been slowly cutting into Res Dog's lead for the overall championship, um, actually uh, lost a few points this week because Res Dog got second. Tony Groves finished sixth. Greg, honorable mention in 12th. Don't, don't, don't even. I just tell him I had no luck. I have no luck. But I was 23rd. So it looks like a Res Dog has about a 60, well, almost a 70-point lead over Tony Groves with eight to go. So uh, could could be close to coming down to the end. Um, so uh, Tony uh, Tony Rochette's made in the top 10 overall standings. He's in 10th place. Um, and, yeah, Greg's took a little tumble lately. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. First item we have on the hardware. We're looking at a new batch of ProtoSimTech pedals. These uh, pre-orders are coming soon. The additional information is that he's putting out 50 sets and there's a $300 deposit to make your pre-order. Wow, I thought these were gone forever. Uh, Last we heard from this guy, he said he was done making them. Wasn't this his third or fourth time getting out of it? Yeah, he had said that before. That's true. I wonder if the shutdown with with COVID changed things and made it where the rest of his life wasn't hectic, so hectic that it was worth still doing him. He's retired more than Hulk Hogan. And, you know, I have to buy a set of pedals for my new cockpit because I'm pretty sure my hanging pedals won't work on that new one. Go hydraulic. Yeah, this is $600, though. What a value. Um, another. I had to. I have to jab it in, even though you stepped on me. Um, he's retired more than who was it? Uh, Hulk Hogan or maybe Michael Jordan? Jordan only yeah. retired once, twice, twice, thrice, wasn't it? Thrice. Well, technically nah. three times. Because, anyways, we're not going to get into the technicalities of Jordan. Uh, Mike, if we're going to spend your money, you're we're not. You're not going to buy these set. We're going to have to find something more expensive for you. Okay, that, that are better. These are load cell, you so. saw. Yeah, that's not about, in your that's not in your price range for this team. How about he retired more times than Brett Favre? There you go. There you go. But for load cell pedals, guys, 
these are uh, sought after. Uh, I, I've, I've heard really good things about these in the past in the forums. Uh, everyone who's touched them has said very good things. I think they're, you know, on the same level of like the Heisken builds. So get yours now. You can get a deposit going. Uh, Is there a theme going on with pedals here to start the show? It looks like it because Mike's now going to tell us a little bit about some Thrustmaster pedals coming out. Yeah, we got uh, the T3PM pedals are now available from Thrustmaster, and they put up a video on their Instagram uh, showing them off. Uh, what do you guys think? It looks like they're kind of uh, – this is kind of their foot pedals. They have the, the ones that look like the Fanatec inverteds that aren't like um, – that they're their higher end ones, do they not? I, I'm, tr I'm trying to remember the the market line for Thrustmaster, but these kind of look like a really nice version of uh, the way that the, the Fanatec uh, uh, V3s sit. I think they look good. I mean, uh, did it have a pricing for it? I haven't seen that yet, but one thing that really catches me is they say they're magnetic pedals. And so what does that really mean magnetic i mean i see springs behind them you know for resistance so i don't know if the is the magnet doing the resistance somehow or uh most most of the pedals uh at, when you as you get up to that point use something called the hall effect sensor uh from a scientist that happened to have the same last name as me and it can basically just detect the motion of a magnetic field is this kind of like how they have some of those magnetic shifters too, the way that they use for those clicking shifters? Is it that type of stuff? Or is that just a pressure, like a point for the clicking shifters that are magnet? I think the mag, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think the mag, uh, this is speculation. The magnet sensor, the magnetic uh, shifters is actually affecting the way it physically moves. Whereas a Hall effect sensor is just something that can detect motion. I mean, this is kind of a good thing to have. It looks like uh, Thrustmaster's kind of trying to get into the PS5, Xbox Series X market, like trying to get with that with PC as well, so they are more diverse in what uh, their customer base. I've never had Thrustmaster, so I don't know a lot about them. Chris was running, running Thrustmaster for a long time, wasn't he? He, yeah, he, was, he probably knows the his, most about them. Yeah, I think his whole setup was Thrustmaster before. I think he's come over to the dark side now. Well, as we're talking about the uh, what we would probably consider some of the the entry level brand wheels, we have possibly Logitech jumping over to the direct drive wheel. Maybe Mike. Yeah, this is from a YouTube video from someone named uh, Random Call Sign. This is uh, this is YouTube name and. Uh, he does a review on quite a few different wheels, including uh, the new Thrustmaster. The uh, he does uh, talks a little bit about the new uh, Fanatec uh, CSL DD, and one of the things that he speculates is uh, he sees an early design of what looks like might be a new Logitech wheel that could be force feedback. So. Uh, Logitech has not gotten into the force feedback market at all at this point, um, and uh, it seems like with the lower price points for some of these new ones that we've been seeing with Fanatec and and uh, and the others like that, that they might be getting into this uh, lower price point market maybe for for uh, direct drive. Did you mean direct drive? Because they've they've always they have had force feedback. For, they're just. Not I'm, I'm sorry. Did I say that? Yeah. I meant yeah, I meant direct drive. I'm sorry, they direct call, drive. 
They call it a true force, though. Don't call it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. So, so Mike's Look bad with words. Video. I'm bad with geography. Look at the video at the 123 mark, and you'll see a box, and it, it shows, a, you know, a PlayStation version on the bottom, Xbox version on the top, uh, and it says Pro. Uh, that's the name of it. I can't see the word underneath pro. Tro, but true force. true force. Pro true, true force. force. There you go. So that's the name of it. And it sure looks like a real product since there's a box. Do you think it's kind of a... I hate, I hate when they've designed these products for the, you know, to have the console market brought into the PC stuff or these with the wheelbase companies where... Xbox and PlayStation can't seem, or Microsoft and PlayStation can't seem to match together and get the same, you know, could you, could you get a nicer wheel and have both of them compatible? Like even when you're buying like Fanatec and stuff like that, you have to have a different hub. Like at some point, just the consumers aren't going to, you know, they, a lot of consumers have multiple consoles. Are they going to want to go down a road of having two different wheel bases and things like that if they want to run things on different things or do they you know you or you force them to choose right well it kind of comes down to the same reason certain telecom companies or want you to only be able to buy their peripheries right uh, or peripherals uh, and don't make it common with uh, c- compatible with other standards right so that, that I just think log, not Logitech but uh, Xbox Xbox is mostly uh, PC based right whereas Sony is I think is not, and that's where it's kind of coming down to who they won't agree on the standard. Uh, because if you've, you're following one standard, they have to buy your stuff. So I think it makes sense that Logitech gets a direct drive wheel out. Uh, the market is right for it, you know, with the CSLDD, and then you had the the SimiCube one, uh, and now maybe Logitech and so on. It is following the same trend that most technology does, right? The first direct drives were, you know, way up there. But as more competitors get in, they start finding more and more ways to bring the cost down. Some of that just being a matter of uh, volume. Well, and the hardest thing for Logitech is most of their wheels from from start, like anything that was force feedback in the Logitech line, pretty much cost the same through the years, did it not? Like you never really spent more than what, $350 for a rim and pedals. And if you wanted to add the shifters, sometimes you could add, you could add it for another, what, hundred bucks or less. Like Logitech never really had anything more. So like you're saying, David, if, if the markets come down where they can make it get closer to that price range where like Fanatec has done with their, their baby one, Maybe that's why they might be thinking of getting into the market now. Well, yeah, it's, it's not the market that's come down; it's the build costs that's that's come down, right? Um, and they've just not wanted to cater to a two thousand dollar wheel. It's not their business model. Yeah, but it can be. It, it does have to do with market costs. Yes, things get cheaper to make, but do you think a TV that was eight K or when you bought your four K TV, do you think it costs? thousands of dollars more when it first comes out compared to to build compared to what it is by the time it's down to a thousand dollars i don't think so it's, it's the market dictates that too somewhat but the the cost of the equipment and the technology is higher f- 
further back than just building the TV. The stuff that's going into the TV is more expensive until there's been a lot of it built. Because one of, one of the things you, that goes into the cost of making things is designing the things that make them. So they start finding cheaper and cheaper ways to make the same technology. Um, you like food, Greg? I really I actually don't like know. What, I don't know what this uh, this particular headline's about, but we have something called track cams for gourmets. So I think Bobby shared this. Did he not, Mike? Is yeah. this where this is from? This is from Bobby, and he was talking about uh, there's a, it's a website. Uh, it's trackcams22.com, and um, they have that's what uh, they call it track cams for gourmets that's the name of the website yeah so basically if you're video editing or doing stuff i guess even for broadcast too right mike they could um it, it, they're really nice camera angles and they um it, it it's just different plugins for the iRacing app to to work around with cameras um i guess it can help with some photography and uh some other stuff too as well on the site they have what does it look like paints here as well i don't know what was under the paint stuff i guess it was just showing some of their their work here but um they're basically under packages here of you know getting uh certain uh cameras i guess with these packages for different tracks as well yeah i mean if you click into it you can get like the base package download uh for free as long as you don't use it in a stream or in a broadcast now he has paid versions that you can pay him for that you can use in a stream or a broadcast so it just depends on what your use case is um, if you recall i found some cameras on the forums that were free that i installed into the sim uh, it's pretty easy to, to load these up you just hit control f12 you'll see uh, in the bottom right a load car and load track and you click each one of those and load the file that you see um, when when you click it and that's how you load these custom cameras that you can get and and bobby pointed this one out just because it's another source for quality broadcast cameras well if you look on the website here too the one that they really have that I kind of like, that was kind of cool. I got it. Even though this one's called a fan cam. Did you ever look at the video for that, Mike? It it's basically from the fans perspective on all the tracks that, uh, that he's got listed here, but the way that he's got it designed, it's, it looks like you're sitting in the grandstands or right up against a fence on a road course, camping areas, things like that. Right, and the head sweep from one side to the other as they go by. Yeah, pretty cool. There's, there's a lot of different ones. They have oval package, road package, uh, VR experience, and so on. I would have to check that out. For some reason, there's nothing showing up under the VR one, though. Oh, there we go. Never mind. Now it came up. I mean, I stream while I'm in VR, but so that would, I don't know if you have to, but you can't use anything live, you know, when you're actually racing. It'd be interesting for replays, though. So it's for replays, is watching replays in VR. That's what so this basic, one is. Basically, David, what it's doing is it makes it feel like you're standing on the track or something like that from what it looks like from the video here. Hmm. Yeah, it says uh, group one is scenic, group two is grid, group three is VR experience, two to five sets of camera groups exclusively to be used with the VR headset. Depending on track, this includes general admission or grandstand positions, marshal post positions, or standing trackside. 
it was Marshall and or uh, uh, spotter posts. Like if you have the, you know, if you want to be up there where you can see the whole track, those would be pretty important for anybody that that has has live admins for a race. And as long as you're not streaming, you can go in here and try these things. Uh, like I said, it's really easy to use in sim. Um, the ones that I got, I was monkeying around with. They're pretty fun. I've bookmarked the site to uh, to use it for some future endeavors. I think next we're going to try to spend some of Mike's money and talk about this uh, next level racing rig some more. Yeah, I finally uh, got an actual review. Um, obviously, I've been talking about it we on the show, been telling all my teammates about it, and of course, every Google and Facebook and everybody are... Uh, you know, showing me ads, they're showing me videos about it, you know, they're marketing to me. And so I found a, uh, a review video that I hadn't found before of this uh, cockpit. And uh, this guy, you know, puts it through its paces. He talks about the good and bad and what he thinks of it. Um, one thing that really caught my eye about what he said was the seat. Uh, this bucket seat that they have on it that looks kind of wide for the, you know, if you're a bigger guy, uh, he said it wasn't really great. He, he said he had a little problem with if he wanted to put his head back, uh, it didn't feel comfortable. Um, and so it really made me think twice about that chair because initially I was thinking, oh, yeah, that chair looks fine. I'll just get that. But uh, it's really good to see these reviews um, just so you have another person's opinion. Yeah, bucket seat's the way to go. And, and of course, I'm just drooling over this uh, cockpit again. I, I, I'm pretty much set on I want to buy it. I was telling everybody, you know, what's first? Am I going to buy the quad mount or the seat or the cockpit? And I'm kind of in that decision point right now. If you're buying everything from the same thing, do you not benefit over the term? Like if you keep shipping things separately, would it not cost you a little bit more in the end, do you think? No, once you get into big rig stuff like this, it's you're getting into something that's closer along the lines of uh, per pound rather than just a flat rate. Remember, this company doesn't have traditional, uh, you know, purchase off their website and they ship it to you like most companies. This, they're selling their stuff through Amazon, Best Buy, and places like that. And so. If you want to buy one of these, you have to go to one of those resellers, Newegg or whatever. So you could go to Best Buy and buy it, and then you can get it shipped to your Best Buy or your house? Right. You, Yeah, you, you literally buy it from BestBuy.com. So I don't know if the shipping is going to be a consideration because you're buying it from these large retailers like Amazon. But they still charge shipping on most things, even though if you've got something like Prime, you get cut rates on that most of the time or free. I was going to say probably Best Buy for buying up Best Buy if it's in the warehouse and they're just moving ship, you know, it's being trucked along back to Best Buy, Best Buy somewhere else. I'm sure there's probably no shipping cost on it either, depending on unless they have to get it there some other way. Well, my idea is like I'm going to build it while I still have my old cockpit still in use. I'll have basically one being built and I'll have one I'm using and uh, eventually I'll switch, you know. Well, we got another cockpit that Brian's going to tell us a little bit about. It uh, something to do with hounds. Yeah, we're going to unleash the hounds on this one. So this is called a Sim Hound cockpit. Um, it's a eighty twenty profile type uh, rig, very uh, very similar to what uh, 
you see in a lot of them but this one's not super heavy duty looking certainly not to the uh, level of the one that we were just talking about um it's got a nice pretty blue color though um if if you're into the blue one but the deck mount on it for the uh for the uh wheelbase does not look super duper strong i guess it should be okay he's racing with a uh with a uh, dd1 or dd2 it's hard to tell but um he's racing with a uh you know, direct drive uh, wheelbase on it. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch this whole video, but judging from the pictures, it looks like it's a eh, average type of 80-20. So I'm just, I fast forward to a spot where he's got it built here on the video, Brian, and he's trying, he's testing the flex of it. The wheelbase part doesn't seem like it has a lot of flex. I don't know, Mike, compared to, I don't know if you saw this part, but, Compared to yours, I don't know what the flex level is there, but the flex I see is in that seat. That seat moves way too much when he hits the brake pedal. Yeah, this is a a inexpensive, you know, eighty twenty kind of profile rig. You know, as as inexpensive and as low key as you could probably make it. You know, but the price is reflective of that. I mean, two hundred ninety five pounds um, from the UK. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not a bad price for what you're getting. We found a right foot breaker here. He uses one foot for both. <laughs> How many, that's not very often you see somebody that races with one foot. Isn't it a little bit more popular in sports cars because it allows them to do the, the hill toe shift tech technique. He, he has a Marinello version, if I said that right. It's all bright red, like Ferrari red. I kind of like that. It looks like um, it looks like it would be real, uh, like tail heavy. You know, getting out of, of some of these rigs uh, that are are not real well supported in the in the front. You know, you can actually like pull a wheelie on your uh, on your rig when you're Fall getting back. out. Of them. Yep. Does that seat come with it? I didn't even notice when he was building it. I'm guessing that seat's with it. Well, they sell bucket seats separately um, on their website. I think with the, 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 the spot that they have, the cheapest part is where the, uh, it seems to be the, like I said, where it's flexing is the, is the seat mount area. It's, it's probably the lightest gauge. And then there's, it's not the profile gutter sizes are, are not that wide either. You know, but you can buy both of those and it's pretty lightweight. We'll keep uh, rolling down the chases or chassis, which is um, we've got one called the Overpower OP that Greg's going to tell us a little bit about. So this is a review from Simpit. Is it Simpit, right? Yeah. So um, I guess if you go to the website for this company, it's called uh, overpower.gg. So it's a – I'm trying to figure out from the – is that – It's a wood. It's wood, so it's 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 uh, laser. And it's not board. like a. It's kind of like a particle board, but like a high end particle board, like an MDF. Yeah. So it's you know, so it's cut. It's laser cut uh, perfection. You can obviously get it in a bunch of different colors and design, or you know, and it looks like it has a lot of um, adjustment to it. It it, sit, it looks like when he first, when he's first installing here, he's got it sitting in the formula or it's in a formula style rig, but um, it doesn't look, uh, doesn't look too bad. He looks like uh, from the video here, here as well. He, there doesn't seem to be a lot of flex or anything. 
Um, definitely an interesting design for a rig. I think, you know, I think we've talked about this ring, this rig before. Yeah. We just, uh, they never had a review of it, but it looks like a decent um, rig with all the different uh, mounting uh, or adjustment points for it. I just don't know how, you know, you'd be spending a long time adjusting with that. And I don't know if any of those adjustment areas will ever wear out as you're, if you move it inside something like that. Pretty handily in this video from the sim pit here, he, uh, he gets to the end and, and does a summary of the, of his good and bad, his pros and cons. So we can actually read those down pretty quick. It's towards, it's around minute, uh, what, 32, 32.57, if you jump there, you can see the summaries. So uh, he likes the fact that it's extremely adjustable for both uh, for a wheel pedal seat monitor. It says it's stiff and stable. It'll hold monitor adequately. He likes the styling. Um, he said it's the most formula cockpit he's ever driven. And it's um, he likes the modular design of it. So it's easy to upgrade. He says it's compatible with all the equipment. He likes the finish. It's a nice combination. It's it, it has the best integrated monitor stand that he says so far. He likes that it's uh, also got a really comfortable driving position, comf and also comfortable padding. He likes the way they use profile hardware on other parts of the rig. So they must have some eighty twenty integrated in there that that we didn't pick up on. Um, it can be separated for storage, and it has a motorized pedal adjustment. Yeah, I watched this, and I think the big thing he was conveying was, man, there is no flex in the wheel at all. I mean, it is rock solid, um, and and the design leads to that because the the sides of this thing are uh, are are whole. You know, they're the real thick wood, the MDF wood. And this is the way it's designed. I mean, it's not going to budge. This is a company out of Finland, actually. Um, and uh, if you go on their website and look at their About Us section, it shows like his first time he built uh, a rig for racing. It's made all out of two by fours, but it's really pretty neat. You know, it's not something he would he he designed to to sell it was just something that he made for himself and it's actually really cool looking it's just uh he's got the those uh, egg carton type of cushions on it just to uh just to soften up the wood a little bit but um yeah it's it's pretty cool to see the the history of this if you take a look at the the not so good on the summary that probably the most two notable ones are that it is very low to the ground. So, you know, Mike's probably not going to like that one. He'll have a little trouble getting in and out. And then, uh, it's also pretty expensive with all the add-ons. Like 700 euros uh, for the entry level. They have a child seat option for it. So you can attach a child seat to it. Yeah, I did see the, the video where he's getting in and out to show you how easy it is to get in and out of. And he, he struggles a little bit because that area where you would have to slide your foot through uh, is is pretty small. And and I don't he doesn't look like a real tall guy. I don't I don't know that for sure. But I imagine if you're a little bit bigger, that's going to be even tougher. My parents used to even complain about ever riding with me just because my car would sit so low to the ground. My real car getting in and out of it was a pain in the rear. So, I you know if it you if you're gonna get down there, you might you're gonna you better either be in shape or mount it up. One of the two. 
All right, I got the next one. We got the AccuForce Wireless Button Box Prototype. So I'm taking a look at this. There's not a whole lot of information. It's a Facebook page, and it looks like they're taking beta tester applications. And um, it kind of almost looks like what you get with the hub, where it's it's four little. It's it's like an X behind the rim. Button cluster. I'm thinking so. It's a but. It's button. It's four button clusters that are that are attached to this rim and i don't know if it comes with a rim or is a separate piece but yeah it, it does remind me of the button clusters that come on some of the some of the competitors gears called the hub so the accuforce wheel has always been a wired wheel so this is a wireless so this is the prototype for them to do wireless finally now I'm sure Chris Scales is very interested in this. Um, I haven't asked Chris how he's handling uh, the wheel being wired. They have a link uh, on this uh, in the comments of this Facebook post on their Facebook page. If you're interested in beta testing the new wireless wheel box, they have a, a page you can go sign up and they'll send you one. So is this for them going, trying to go the Fanatec way? of having some hardware that attaches in and you don't have to have. Yeah, Bluetooth. It, is it using Bluetooth? Oh, I'm just guessing. I mean, it's wireless. Or, or did they finally come up with some way of using what, what they already had and, and getting the hardware out of it to work? Because if it's Bluetooth, couldn't there be a delay sometimes? That's what some other wheels use is Bluetooth. Might explain some of the racing on the track. <laughs> All right, next up. The $3,000 GeForce RTX 4090 price prediction. And this is an article from PCGamer.com. And, uh, and the article title is, I'm not buying the $3,000 4090 price prediction, but should I? And he goes on to discuss about, you know, is this really going to be the pricing? Uh, and, and one of the reasons why is uh, Graphically Challenged on Twitter actually put out their price predictions uh, based on what they think uh, on the miners and the, and the gaming market. And so they think the RTX 4090 is going to be 3000 or the 4080 Ti will be 2000 The 4080 will be 1200 the 4070, 800 and so on down the, down the road. David, should we uh, go back to your discussion about the expensive part of it, where our components are expensive to start off with? <laughs> or are they just gouging us? Oh. Well, anything is worth what you'll pay for it. So you're right on the market side that if, if people will pay for it, they're going to charge that until people stop paying for it, and then they'll drop the price. But there is a thing with technology, too, at that, like, like I said before, they get cheaper to make, like drastically cheaper to make after a time. No. Well, uh, I'm looking up a new egg right now for the existing GeForce RTX 3090s, and they're $3,500 right now. The article goes on to say that the 4090 commanding 3000 wouldn't be unprecedented either if you put it into proper context. Bear in mind that for the current generation, the 3090 is essentially a Titan card, but branded as the GeForce RTX part. Historically, Titan cards have commanded premium dollars. Here's a rundown of each one's launch pricing. So the Titan RCX started at 2,500. The Titan 5 was 3,000. The Titan XP was 1,200. And uh, if you recall the GTX Titan Z dual GPU, it was 3,000. 
I just can't see spending that kind of money on the graphics card. Man, that's like, a, that's an entire that's an entire computer PC, man. Uh, yeah. Because if you get a seven hundred, that's about what I spent on my computer was three thousand. But I, you know, I have a seven eight hundred dollar graphics card. It's crazy. Well, I think we might have time to pick up one more uh, hardware before take a look at the clock, Mike, and I'll I'll cover this one while you're having a look. Uh, we got the thrust. Another post about the Thrustmaster. Uh, so Fanatec is out. The here's the post by Bobby Childs on. Uh, on the uh, iRacing forums, Fanatec is out there producing sim wheels that are identical to the Porsche, BMW, and McLaren, etc. So it looks like Thrustmaster is going to give us a wheel from the Dodge Caravan. He's making fun of them. Yeah. Basically, it's kind of funny. Basically, he's throwing shade at it because they basically generically are designing these wheels because of the you know if you think about it, they're designed they're designed for the normal a normal person to run on a console. If you Thrustmaster and Logitech, their wheels are so bland because they're meant for the consumers of all the products that they're trying to get it for. And when you got kids trying to race with these wheels and stuff, their hands have to be able to reach buttons and things like that. So they're generically done like that. And um, if you model a wheel off of uh, one of those other cars, you're not just, paying for design you're paying for name at that point yeah like david what you have the formula rim of from fanatec and that was what 2.99 3.99 it was free because i had to wait on my direct drive for four but months. you know what i mean you know i don't remember how i don't know i, I actually was, don't know what it costs now i think it was 2.99 if they were if that was what around and then they brought you know that's probably a more sophisticated rim than the mclaren gt3 rim which costs cost at the time around the same price. So what are you paying for? The name brand. So there's a link to the wheel further down in the forum post. Um, it's a hybrid belt and gear driven system. And the announcement was put out August 31st from Thrustmaster, a press release about this wheel um, called the T248. And it says the new force feedback racing wheel to master each track. Quick update on the price: the the club sport formula wheel that that I have effectively is three sixty nine. Okay, so basically, Mike, if you're saying it's a hybrid belt gear wheel, so this is the so they're still putting out Toyota Priuses while everybody else is making McLaren P ones and Ferrari stuff. <laughs> it's basically what you're equivalent to technology wise. Would there be a, a market for some retro shit car wheel designs? Like, can we get a Pinto replica? It wouldn't have anything but a <laughs> horn in the center. So it'd be like a triangle. Get those old. I think they're talking about the old car. Like, if speaking of an old caravan, wouldn't it be like that little box front? It, it was like it was a, a box in the center of it, and there was nothing in the box. It would just it looked like a, a box in the center of the steering wheel. I've got a business idea for 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 Groves. If he wants to jump into really jump into the do-it-yourself market, he could actually just head to the junkyard, grab every wheel he could find, install some electronics, and start making rims to throw on bases. All right, let's get into results. We have the NIS. Richmond Friday Open, 
I was DQ'd out of the race with six to go. I actually get, I kept getting running over uh, from behind for some reason. Uh, it was like three different times I got hit from behind. Um, and I, I spun off pit road and I hit the wall uh, at one point. Um, like I, I come off pit road and I gashed it and it, it turned immediately into the inside wall. Um, the wheel spun real quickly and my, my hand actually got caught up in it, my left hand. And I felt like I actually sprained my thumb and uh, I was hurting. I was actually driving one-handed after that. And I, I was telling Tony, man, this is uh, not good. But the next day it was okay. It's still a tiny bit sore. Uh, here we are a few days later or almost a week later, but uh, I think I'll be okay. But that is the first time I've really injured myself with my direct drive wheel. Tony Rochette, P10. Few people in my and Mike's split had server issues. I had issues, I got booted under caution. I made it back down from three laps. Uh, enough cautions, I made it back uh, to the lead lap. All right, and then Sunday open, Greg wrecked out. Yeah, so Sunday's race, I was that was the first race I raced last week of Richmond because um, of my back problems. I got in it to test it out and I was running fine. And, uh, I think that was a top split. David and I were in the same race there and uh, just minding my own business, running along and gave somebody the position on the bottom and uh, they wrecked down the back stretch. And because I gave that guy on the bottom, he had the out and I had where the wreck went. So it was just unfortunate what happened. And then David, you got wrecked out early 26. Yeah, just a, a guy that decided he wanted to uh keep coming across the nose and he came across it and forced me under the apron making me bounce back into him and uh somebody else arca breaks right into my nose and that was the end of the day i limped around and brought it home 26th okay sunday fixed i got p11 i got involved in several wrecks that were not my doing but i soldiered on got a drive through for too many incidents but still ended up with a decent run i'll take it Hey, Mike, I, uh, I dropped in at the end of your race there. And there's something I want to talk about real quick. Um, you guys had a late restart. And uh, as you guys are lined up, getting ready to come to green, one of the one of the people in the in your in your uh, in your race there started counting down three, two, one for the start of the race. He's like three, two, one, go, and and but didn't go. The car on the outside, who was fooled by this, took off and uh, passed the leader before the start finish line. Wound up getting a. Um, a penalty for that um, don't do that that's not cool man that is not a cool thing to do if you're trying to fake somebody out like that that's ridiculous was it the leader who did the three two one i think I'm, I'm assuming it was because who else would do that and make it um make it believable but if it's not cool and um uh, i'm not not to make fun of david but that's something i would definitely protest right away it, it, I don't know uh, if that is protestable or not. Is it, maybe it's What's a good it? idea to have have it on mute when you're green. Like I used to mute the driver chat every time it's green, and I would you know unmute it during yellow. But this kind of proves that maybe that's a good idea. 
Sorry, Dave, I didn't hear what you said there. I just, I don't know if that's protestable or not. Um, I remember at some point hearing somebody complain in a race when two teammates were in the front and they counted each other off over team speak and got a good jump on everybody and said something along the lines of that being protestable, but I don't see how you can enforce that. That's that's a little different, if you ask me. I mean, this is somebody who was on the race chat who was trying to uh, to fake out some fake out people on the restart. Okay, Tyler uh, Williamson ran with us. He got a P8, ran my normal, did not qualify, and started in the back. Took my time and chipped away at the guys killing tires. Finished with an 8x, dodging the disasters, but finished strong. Thanks to the team for helping with pit strategy and when, when to push it. Brian P13. Yeah, I was actually having a pretty decent race, a clean race um, for Richmond. I didn't have any really serious issues um, until, and I was in the top 10 pretty much the whole race. And then we had a late restart over a green white checker um, and uh, somebody dive bombed me going into turn three and they couldn't hold their line and wound up pushing me up into the uh, the top of the track on turn three and like probably four or five cars passed me when that happened. And um, I think I talked about this a little while ago. If you're going to dive somebody, make sure you can hold the line down there, you know, dive bomb them and then you can't dive, go underneath somebody and then expect to run up the track when you're done. That's just not cool. So um, anyway, P13, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Then moving to Wednesday, we took it to Bristol. Um, I was in top split. It was an absolute wreck fest. It was the sloppiest top split race that we've had in Martinsville um, in a long time, especially on the Wednesday top splits where the strength of field's been mid 4,000s. Um, and five times I was able to unavoid the wreck. It was just every time it was in front of me or literally right around the corner where you couldn't even see it happening. And boom, twice, two of those wrecks actually caused a lot of severe damage. So I was slow and down laps the whole rest of the race. Still climbed back to uh, 21st by surviving even got a black flag at the at the end with that with that fifth impact um, but because it was coming to a green white checkered I was like all right I'll just take the lap penalty and the other guy that was on my lap also got the penalty and he did pit ended up three laps down I didn't pit and ended up just losing another lap um, also in the middle of this race it was just a night of unlucky I was passing the guy while I was one lap down literally in the process of passing him and him letting me go when uh, the caution comes out and it gives him the lucky dog just to add to the unluckiness because getting up there would have given me a shot to at least steal a few more positions also you'll we'll probably talk about this in in the rest of those results too i racing's hamsters they kind of had a stroke twice during the race right everybody started glitching in every split um it, uh, the quality bar on the right side started coming turning yep. really really red and um everybody on the server was talking all right just talking uh, but they couldn't talk because the the sound was going bad too and we, well, we, we could still talk in team speak though we could talk in team speak but the the in race chat was glitching out because garrett was garrett mains was in there trying to kind of give everybody instructions on where to run until it cleared up so that we could avoid wrecks uh, several people ended up getting their lat their their drive-through penalty while it was all happening and i actually got dumped a lap it just scored me it didn't score me taking one of the laps and it put me a, a lap further down than i was even though i was nowhere near anybody at the time 
Yeah, same thing in my split. Uh, the the quality bar on the right side went down to as low as 68. Now I didn't actually drop or have a you know miss a lap or anything like that, but there were other people in my split saying the same thing. All right, I got a P26. Um, I was running pretty good. I, I think I was six at the time, and I was working the inside lane, um, the guy to the outside, and a guy got literally underneath me uh, coming out of one of the corners, I think to make it three wide, and I didn't realize it. I was trying to hold the inside lane and stay off the outside guy, and I came down and basically turned myself off his nose, and uh, it bounced me down to the bottom and then all the way back across the track to the top, and then I got completely you know, piled into. So it, it killed me and uh, race over P26. Uh, Greg, you got wrecked out. Yeah, mine had to do with the server issues. Um, I ended up, we got on the different strategy tire-wise, so I was on older tires and I was fading back, but as soon as those servers take it, took a hit the first time, I just took it easy and ran my same line, but there's, you know, you got cars hopping around everywhere and jumping and, and going all over the place. And then all of a sudden it comes back and then it does it again. And when it started to, it, it was almost, I think the servers were almost ready to drop every one of us. It was way into the red at one point. I, I think I read 55 on iRacing side on the, on the bar and, uh, when they started, when it started climbing back up, there was a car. It looked like it went right through me, but it, I guess it was there and it just ran me over and I had nowhere to go and I hit the inside wall and meatballed and that was it. It's, you know, I'll just, you know, I can get mad and be mad about it, but you know, how often does that happen in iRacing? It's true, it doesn't happen very often. Kyle, uh, Kyle Pendigraph got a P9. Started 14th and worked my way to the front, ran consistent top 10, and then last 28 laps, I hammered down and worked my way up to fifth. Lap car lost it with two to go and I got collected. I was down 400 RPM, but got to restart third. Tried to block the low line and keep a top five, but just didn't have the power. Only received a 4X the whole race and kept the car straight until the last caution. Tony Rochette, uh, P engine done, gone, blown up after some damage and a couple of cautions. Right. Talk, talking about some of those damages, like I said, when you come around the corner, sometimes there was just no time to react, and several people in the server agreed that there just, you know, there wasn't. Because you'll have some racers that get mad when somebody runs into them, but at Bristol, you can't, you can't see it. And I see, I saw this in real life. The last, uh, the the few races they were running there for a while they had a legends race, which was a bunch of retired drivers driving some some old cars around it. And they were running without spotters. And this guy did not know that there was a wreck on the front stretch and just comes comes blazing out of turn three and T-bones the guy. And they ended up having to go to the hospital on it because he was 70 years old. But so it's, it's a little challenging to run at Richmond. It doesn't, doesn't self-clean as well as you would think it does. Okay. And then today, Thursday open, P2. And I tell you what, I've never ever been so upset with a P2. I mean, I was pissed. I led the most laps and I put this one hurt because I almost had a one. I mean, the guy honestly beat me. Uh, he was a better driver. I had the outside. He chased me down from behind. He got to the inside many times, like three or four times. I had Joe Owen in there uh, spotting for me. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, trying to keep me cool, you know, 
I don't, I told Joe, I don't think I've tried as hard to drive a car as I did today. I mean, I walked away just exhausted from that race, but just mentally, I was just up on the wheel as much as I could do uh, trying to win that thing. But at the end of the day, uh, he was side by side with me. Uh, I was running really hard trying to hold him off and and I got, I, I was gonna hit the wall regardless and he came up alongside me and, and was gonna go into the wall with me and, and basically push me in real hard. And then I got the wall and he got the lead and then he drove away. So I couldn't catch him after that. At one point I was, I was keeping up with him, but then I lost him and I lost the race, but uh, P2. Tony Rochette, P3. He uh, stayed out of trouble, ran the tires off on the last run. He was hoping Mike and the other guy would wreck. He needed a win this year. So Tony was in my split and uh, we had four cars on the lead lap because I had lapped up to that point, uh, all those cars. And uh, and he was just riding, just waiting for us. And at one point, when during the last restart, Tony and I were side by side and uh, the guy behind us was coming and he's like, okay, let's get lined up. You know, after the race, I was telling Tony, you know, maybe I should have let you go. You know, maybe you had a chance to win this race and and I, I, I messed that up. So I'm kind of kicking myself. Maybe I should have let Tony go and let him try because uh, I couldn't hold that guy off. I don't know if Tony could have. We were running different sets too. great run, man. I, to back up my Richmond with a fourth and then my Southern 500 win uh, the week before and then to come out of here with a P2. Man, I, I'm just ecstatic about that, actually. Well, funny you mentioned P2, because that's where I finished in the fast track sim racing race. Uh, we had, what, a late, uh, what, 40 lapish run? And uh, just did not have the same short run speed or even medium run speed as Greg. 22 so, laps. Was it 20? Okay. 20 or 22 laps. Well, anyway, I just didn't have the same speed. And uh, so I kind of spoiled Greg's announcement because Greg took the win. Nice win. That was a f interesting race. Uh, I've never. Had, I think that was probably of all the races this season that had the most discussed about afterwards on a bunch of things. But I, <laughs> I don't know what it was. I think maybe it was help from David that on Tuesday. What night was it? The following week, David Tuesday. They watch a Tuesday night. One of the nights I watched you. Yeah, I, I'm able to usually run a test oh, race on Tuesdays, no, it right? The, it was the NAS Wednesday night because I didn't run it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I watched yeah. that. And I watched David run and um, he, uh, you know, I picked up some pointers of how he ran the track there. And I kind of just, you know, David's always been easier on tires in the long run. And normally I'm out, I'm out uh, trying to get ahead early. And sometimes it comes back to bite me and I just, you know, minded my P's and Q's most of that race and watched guys just wear their stuff out. And there were some guys on the track that were, um, how am I gonna put this? Trying a little bit harder for than the setup was going to allow them to race. That's what that's, I'm gonna describe it. And there's, yeah, there's a little bit of that. They're using up a lot of the track and you know, I guess, I don't know if we're going to talk about much here, but it's one thing to call it racing. And this is, I get that these, the guys were, uh, were saying that they were racing, but if we run you down from five seconds or three seconds to get to you, and then we get to you and you bring the rest of the pack back because you're racing us hard. So now you got five or six cars in the battle instead of just 
two, that's where I kind of get lose it. And I think, I think they were, well, some of the things wasn't happy because I also said that I, I, one of the guys that I was racing with, I punted him into one of the corners just to see what it would do because he was racing us so hard. And I don't know if he didn't like it or not. Um, but I've been moved in races too already this year for wins and things like that. So I don't know where some of the talk have been about that race. I hope it doesn't translate over into next week, but I had probably, I'm going to say, I'm going to say probably the best car in that race. And I finally pulled it all off and won one with it when I had the best car. So that's two wins from this season when I'm feel like I'm the best car on the track. Hold on. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up on that. Um, if you want to race like Ryan Newman and race hard and race hard, then you have to accept that you're going to get moved too. If you want to race hard by holding somebody up who's faster, then bumping bumping is is the is racing hard too. And I mean, you have that. I guess you have that right. But I will always say that it is bad racecraft because when somebody if if i'll pull a name out of the hat um well just any of the guys that are faster than me if the, once they catch me i don't like to have them hounding me from behind you know i just get away get away from my ass it's just it's, just, it's an off-limits area right um stay <laughs> stay nope. oh, yeah that's a no <laughs> that's a, that was a no go zone that, that one was just for roast yet he'll, he'll love that one um but if, if they catch you and you let them go, you use less of your car up and it's, it's better race craft because you both keep going and all those other guys don't catch up to you. So my contention is it is better for you to let the other guy go than to hold him up for 40 laps. It's just selfishly better, not altruistically better. It's selfishly better. I don't do it because I want to help the other guy. I want to do it because I don't want to, to either get wrecked or just fight and catch a guy. And at Richmond, you can be a slower car and still be impossible to pass. The other thing I'm going to say, too, and, and this just goes with what is going on. OK, if you want to, as David said, be Ryan Newman and race hard, then do it. But. If you're going to race somebody hard and swap the position where, say, someone else is on the outside of you and or sorry, they're they're you're, you switch positions on the track and you were racing the other way for many, many laps. You better make sure you're not going to be the one making a mistake and then ruining the other person's race when you're trying to race them as well. Like it's that's the problem that we were having in that race is that, you know, you can run 40 or 50 laps clean and then we get a couple of times into it and one mistakes made and then it, it, it sucks for it right because it, it just it, it's hard to uh especially imagine if one of those guys was a championship guy that was involved yeah and the truth is we're not pros and we're gonna make more mistakes so if you continue to to I, that's just another reason i don't feel safe running with somebody who's faster than me behind me because either i'm gonna push too hard trying to hold him and i'm gonna spin out or he's gonna get tight one corner and turn me or he's just gonna get tired of waiting and turn me and, and don't take what we're saying here as we don't like the league because this is this league is awesome for what we're saying it's just a great discussion point that we're having about how richmond played out and why it was so you know interesting in the end 
Yeah, it's it's really more we're talking about a a concept that applies to all all the races. How I it's how I approach Unias. It's how I approach everything, and I'm doing pretty well there. So um, it's not always I, a lot of the good finishes that I'm getting aren't because I'm always the fastest car. It's just because I've I've most of the time probably I'd say eighty percent of the time do a good job of choosing my battles. Yeah, choosing battles. I didn't see any of this because I wrecked out on the first caution. I couldn't miss it. Uh, the car was slow and I was dead last and I just didn't feel like riding around all night, so I parked it. Tony got a P18, just not fast at Richmond, but stayed out of trouble on the lead lap. Let's back up to official. Uh, Brian, you ran D-Fixed ARCA P2. Yeah, I just did that uh, earlier this afternoon. I got off work a little early. Um, just hopped in an ARCA race and uh, uh, qualified on the pole. Dropped a few positions in the first half of the race, trying to save up some tires. Uh, caught a few people back and wound up finishing P2. Um, ARCAs are fun cars to race. Uh, that's what I do a lot on Monday nights in OBRL. So I decided to just try some some of those races in uh in some uh, official racing maybe maybe get a little bump to my ir try to get that a little higher okay and let's let's talk uh monday obrl arca you got a p20 yeah so uh this was at southern national if you're not if you're not aware southern national is a four tenth of a mile track tiny tiny track uh we had i think 28 or 29 cars come out so a big field uh for that small of a track um i actually I, I call it dirt track on the qualifying, which is just really just uh, letting the back come around and try to hang on to it. And I wound up getting the pole position. And then uh, when the race was gritting up, I uh, started my car up. I saw the saw the uh, uh, the engine rev up, but I didn't hear a thing. Could not hear anything. So I uh, wound up having to fix that. Missed the missed the start of the race because of it. And had to start from the pits. And you know. You got 28 cars on a track that that small and a five incident point limit before you get booted from the race. It's really not a whole lot you can do to make up a lot of positions. Um, at one point, I checked. I checked up. Uh, the two cars in front of me got together and slowed up, and I was getting ready to run into the back of them. So I checked up pretty hard. I didn't hit them, but the car behind me hit me and spun me out, and I was stopped on the middle of the track. And it was it took me about three to four minutes to turn get back in line because it's just a continuous uh lap cars just going round and round and round there was no openings for me to get off of the track i should have just i should have just exited and took the uh toe to the pit stall because i couldn't get it couldn't get on the track uh i felt felt stupid just sitting there but i didn't have any openings so uh i finally got down and uh i don't know i was a bunch of laps down you couldn't even you couldn't pit under green and not lose a lap uh, it's it's how small the track was, and people weren't gritting up. You know, when after when a yellow came out, people weren't getting together close enough that you know if you were towards the back of the field, you were no, you didn't have a chance of staying on the lead lap by pitting. So uh, I found that out the hard way. But overall, considering uh, the small dirt track, I mean small little track with uh, a lot of cars, the race was actually pretty decent. So kudos to all the guys who were in that race. Yeah, that is a fun little track with lots of banking, too. OBRL Aftermath Truck Series. Congratulations, Steve Thompson. 
And the Ride TV 67 wins the iRacers Lounge, the Aftermath Podcast NASCAR Truck Series at Bristol Motor Speedway. Dwayne MacArthur, second. Josh Robinson, third. GridFinder is your go-to source for finding your next sim racing league. Currently home to over 450 leagues across all gaming platforms and across 10 different racing sims, including over 80 iRacing leagues. Filter your search by racing sim, car class, race day, and region. Finding a league to fit your schedule has never been this easy. Visit www.grid-finder.com to find a league or upload your own. GridFinder Redfinder.com, the home of online sim racing leagues. All right, final thoughts, Brian McCubbin. Um, so yeah, I uh, glad to be back. I missed last week and caught the very end of the show the week before that. Everything's kind of back to normal for me. Um, uh, it was cool to do that official ARCA race. Um, I think I'm going to try to race at least once every week for this season, see how I make out and, uh, and go from there. But it's good to be back. All right. Welcome back. David Hall, final thoughts. I got a couple now for you. Um, I don't know why I was thinking Brian lives in Wisconsin, um, I, I, but I think it's because of the internet quality. I thought Pennsylvania would have better <laughs> internet, internet quality being up in the Northeast. No, it's uh, Pennsylvania. If you, if you weren't aware of it, it's, uh, it's uh, Pennsylvania is a, uh, it's uh, Pittsburgh in the west, Philly in the east, and Kentucky in the middle. <laughs> um, so at, I did enjoy the Aftermath show, and uh, we didn't mention it in housekeeping, but Brian was the guest on the last Aftermath show, and it was it was a pretty good one. He, he slides right in there. there. Oh, that's right. You did drop in, in, in on the end. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start doing that, now. too. <laughs> every time I'm, every time I cop on in, in to just like run a road race on a Saturday, I'm just going to start jumping in and, and shooting the shit with them when they're when they're there. Uh, it, it's a it is a fun, less uh, crammed format, and um, you know it's like it's I would call it if you listen to Dell's show, he has the open segment, right? And it's almost like an hour and a half open segment. Now, my question is, if I race on a Sunday or a Saturday in the afternoon, will I get won't ever happen? Won't ever happen. You don't race on Saturdays. You, you don't I have permission. I get you don't have permission from your wife. <laughs> well, we'll be racing this Saturday afternoon, but it won't be after Mad Week. This is true. Um, but uh, what, what they talked about, though, that I wanted to go more in depth in is they were talking about Mike's injury on the wheel and running it, running the force feedback too high. Um, and I, I just wanted to say a couple things about what I look for when I set the force feedback. I'm not necessarily thinking about realism, but for sure, I don't think. A hundred percent and the max setting on the direct drive wheel is going to be what you feel in most cars. It may be the formula car, but generally what I aim for is to have enough resistance when I turn the wheel in the corners that I don't overturn. So it basically helps me not spin out. So I try to find a setting that just makes makes me smoother and more than realistic. So I tend to run a little bit higher on the road courses, like I, I run, I ran the formula car at 70 at a road course, but I learned my lesson never to run it that high at an oval again. Uh, you know, you probably know I power lift and when I do get hurt lifting, it's usually not doing the one rep heavy weight. It's when you do something where you do 
10, you do 100 reps of something and you get sloppy or you just hurt something just from being overuse. Well, if you when you run indie, you do 2000 reps of left turns. That's a lot of reps. And two years ago, when I ran Indy, I had it so high, I had to turn it down in the middle of the race and, and then fought a, a most tennis elbow like condition. So get the get it where it's comfortable, but it helps you not turn too much is, is my recommendation for that for that uh, turning or the force feedback setting. Racing's not a sport. There's nothing physical about turning a car left. We got, um, I got an article that I'm going to put in, in the forums concerning that, where I did a heart rate monitor from a workout and a race uh, twice, actually. So we'll talk more in depth about that in a week or two. So just for the record, I run my force feedback at 80% strength, uh, in the base. And then in SIM, I always hit auto force feedback after running uh, a couple laps in the F8 box. And then I, knock about nine notches off of that and that's where i usually run it but that auto force feedback is probably searching for your clip zone yeah that's it's probably what it's clipping right so yeah. you're setting your auto, your force feedback in the race because obviously you're not gonna have enough practice laps before you get to that to set your up first feedback. it's usually during qualifying <laughs> i just when i'm doing that yeah i, that I really a think lot more about qualifying now <laughs> 80 is probably too much, really. It probably is. Um, it probably is. It, at ovals, especially. It hurt my hand, and you know it was it was that strong. But uh, but I like it that way. Like you said, it helps you to not overdrive because it's really hard to turn the wheel at that you know at some points. And I don't know. I just like the auto force feedback where it finds that level of clipping and adjust because every car and track is different, um, and it will set that differently based on that car. Even the set can change uh, how much the force feedback goes. Like, for example, I'll be running my force feedback set on the open set throughout the week, and then Sunday night we go to fixed. I have to redo the force feedback completely because it's a different set. It all depends on the uh, springs you have in the front of the car, Mike. So if the car's got a heavy spring, you'll have a heavy steering wheel. All right, Greg Hectus, your final thoughts. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's been a good uh, couple of days, but finally my can sit in my Reagan uh, and race again. Um, I can't believe I got that Richmond win after of the least amount of laps turned at a track in an NAS season this year. Richmond was. Uh, was a good race for me on monday night and you know i seem to be okay in the fast track league i can't seem to put anything together in the nas league nis league or races but i think some of that has to do that i've moved into the top split area and it's a little bit more it just seems to be a little bit more difficult for me this season to do anything uh to luck into anything i guess too um i'm looking forward to racing with david at uh bathurst and hopefully we can bring a car home in one piece this year and not likely see what happens we'll see what happens you know We'll get uh, 30 laps in, maybe. Um, yeah. That's when the first dance over, right? <laughs> and uh, just uh, go on, obviously, the league racing and everything. Um, I just want to thank Bobby Jonas again for sponsoring my car, the SimRaps car. It's great to always keep putting that in uh, victory lane. It looks great there. All right. Very good. Um, my final thoughts, uh, man, I, I'm loving the competition uh, as we got away from those road courses. The, my Southern 500 win, got a fourth at Richmond, got a second at Bristol, going into tomorrow night, looking for a win again. 
Uh, I just feel confident, a little bit cocky. Uh, I think it has to do with I'm not in the top split anymore, and maybe I can actually compete on these non-restrictor plate tracks. And uh, in the past, you know, I always won on the restrictor plates, and I rarely would win on another kind of track. But now that I am, man, I'm just loving it. And uh, it's got my excitement going. Uh, as far as hardware, you know, I'm looking at that next level Elite Sim rig very, very closely. Um, deciding, you know, what my game plan is, how am I going to build it, what am I going to buy, what are the components I'm going to get. So that's fun too. It's always exciting to plan uh, Sim racing purchases. So with that, hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.